Oh, we be alive. Finally. We're sitting there like I pressed that live button. It's just, going, you know, it's just like <laughs> it took a while for us to go live. Hi everyone. Hello. Um, hello. We're covering a lot of important news today. The most important one being the first one, I think, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know about the other nine news because Susanna is the one that picks them and researches them and like fact checks them and summarizes them and comes in here and does a lot of work before we go live. So thank you, Susie. Everybody, please, in the live chat, say thank you, Susie, for all the hard work she does for the preparing these Well, shows, and thank right? you to the rest of the Atheist Republic team because I couldn't do it without everyone else that we have behind the scenes. Yes, we could. We can't name all of them because a lot of them are anonymous, but we can thank Dee. Dee is one of yeah. our writers. Yes, so we can thank Dee. She, um, all right. So... Today, the news is what? Sad, happy, absurd, ridiculous. Well, we have to start off talking about a lot of stuff that's happening in Iran, and a lot of that stuff can be sad. Um, And then we have a lot of really interesting stuff, like interesting population projections in terms of Christianity in the U.S., um, and a lot of absurd things as well happening in the Middle East that I think would be um, fun and important to cover um anything yeah i think that that's those are the main things and a couple and some good news as well right people are saying love you susanna thank you Susie. thanks Susie. Oh, no, thank, thank you guys oh by the way guys um in the live chat when you guys say hi and stuff say where you are um saying hi from oh here's another one thank you only Susie. if it's safe for you yeah like say like hi from philippines hi from us hi from uk hi from iran hi from you know uh, Pakistan, Egypt, Indonesia. Yeah. Um, oh, look at this. Great to see Mr. Armin uh, Navabi and Susanna. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, okay, let's go. Oh, we have Silva in the live chat celebrating his 11-month membership saying, happy for the wonderful journey. Thanks, CEO Susie. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh. Right. <laughs> oh, look at this. Hello from Texas. Hello from... Um, what is this? Madeira? Wow. Um, hello from Manchester. Hello from my... Hi from my armchair. Okay, cool. From USA, <laughs> from France, from India. India. Okay, I'm going to keep highlighting some of these comments as Susanna um, goes over the first news. Can we clap for the first news? Um, let's clap for the people who are resisting, although there is a lot of us that is sad. Okay. First news. First news. Uprising in Iran. At least 83 killed and over 1,200 arrested. Since the death of 22-year-old Iranian woman Masajina Amini at the hands of the morality police on September 16th, widespread protests have continued throughout Iran despite internet shutdown. Tehran legislator Mahmoud uh, Nabav- Nabavian called the demonstrations riots and stated that the women that take off the mandatory headscarves as an act of civil disobedience are out to prostitute themselves. As of September 29th, according to the Iran Human Rights uh, Non-Governmental Organization, or NGO, 83 deaths have been confirmed throughout 16 provinces. 
More than 1,000 protesters have been arrested, and many have been subjected to torture and forced confessions on state-affiliated telegram channels. 20-year-old Hadis Najafi was shot in the abdomen, neck, heart, and hand by the security forces on September 21st. Najafi died four days later. On the same day, 16-year-old Mehdi Musavi died in the street after being shot five times and beaten with batons. His family said they were warned to stay quiet or else other family members might quote-unquote disappear. Many journalists were also arrested, including uh, Allahe Mohadami, uh, who, no, who reported on the funeral of Masa Amini. The protests have turned decidedly anti-regime as women continue to burn hijabs and publicly cut their hair. Slogans such as death to the dictator and death to Khamenei are shouted in the streets and from windows and rooftops. Iran Foreign Minister Ahmir Hussein Abdullian said in an interview with New York City's Morning Edition, quote, there is not a big deal going on in Iran. There is no regime change in Iran. He claims that outside elements have encouraged people to turn violent through satellite channels and websites. So one thing I wanted to just say right off the bat is that the number of 83 killed and over 1,200 arrested was of September 29th. And that was only who could be confirmed based on the work of the Iran Human Rights NGO and them looking at um, death certificates and stuff. And that even that work is extremely constricted because of the internet shutdowns. And so even at that point, it was likely that the death count is much, much larger. The largest number that I have seen coming from state-affiliated media was that 35 people have died. But this NGO is quantifying a lot more. And then what we really, one thing that really needs to be highlighted was, so that was on the 29th, okay, that we had that number. On the 30th of September, state security forces committed a massacre against people in Baluchistan, which wasn't even calculated as part of this number of 83 people killed. and. We can get into what happened in Baluchistan, but one number I saw was that there were as many as 56 killed in a single day and 270 injured. And by now, probably a lot more have died from their injuries. Um, and it's absolutely horrific what happened. So there was a city, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Is it Zahidan? Yes, Zahidan. Yeah, Zahedan in the Baluchistan province of Iran. And there, not only were there protests kind of alongside the general protests that have happening been happening since the death of Masa Amini and she was killed for improper hijab by the morality police, but in that province or in that city, there has been outrage because a police commander of the city, um, RAPE'd, I'm not using the word, the R word, because of YouTube. A police commander R worded a 14 or 15 year old Baluch girl. And there has been outrage in the city because of that. And so what happened was after Friday prayers happened in the city, 
a lot of people went to the um, police station or numerous police stations to protest. And at that point, there are reports that the police opened fire, live ammunition on the people outside, on the citizens from inside the police station. And they think that this was a coordinated attack because based on reports that I read, they think they said this must be planned in advance because within 10 minutes, a helicopter was there and they were shooting at us from a helicopter. Which is just like, I don't even have words for the level of like barbarity entailed in that. Just like shooting at citizens from a helicopter from the sky. It's horrific. Um, so yeah, just a full-blown massacre in Baluchistan on Friday that isn't really getting a lot of coverage because of everything that's going on or the combination of things. And so, yes, this death count just got exponentially higher. Yeah. I'm surprised this is not getting more coverage in Iran. We've, we had like the Syria, like, um, what happened in Libya that made the West and all the countries come down on Libya. Like we have a moment where they're shooting people from the sky from a helicopter, right? This is usually the time where it escal things escalate to another level. It, it also shows that these like places where it's more poor in Iran doesn't get more as much reaction as things that happens in, I don't know, Tehran or something. Like, because that there's a lot of people dead. There's a lot of people dead being shot from up in the sky. Like this usually, if this was like, a different place in Iran, it probably would have gotten a much bigger reaction, which is sad that it's not that it's not right now. It's also because the vi the videos from it is just so gruesome. Like I'm even the oh, places yeah. that are covering it, I, they're not showing the videos, right? Like they they keep telling you like, oh yeah, we can't show any show you any of this. Um, so I saw footage of just Zahedan afterwards, and it looks like Syria. It looks yeah. like they turned the city into Syria. It's horrific. Just shells of cars and buildings. Like, it's crazy. Secular Proton yeah. is saying, WTF, I haven't heard of it yet. And I've been constantly monitoring Iran news still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is so interesting. Like, if it's, it's also shows like a little bit how foreigners might be more motivated with, with the, I don't know, things that interest them rather than things that are costly Quant to human yeah. lives. Quantifiably you know, worse, yeah. I don't know. I, I just like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this. I, I think like a lot of our like our audience and our people are also like looking for an anti-Islam angle to this. But so if like a woman is, again, Mahsa Amini's death is a, tra is a tragedy and I'm glad that all the protests is happening to, to it, right? But if it was 150 men being shot down from the sky for something that was a protest that was about the economy, for example, it wouldn't have gotten the same attention, even though it was more people dying, right? I'm just like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to complain about things because it's just how it is and, and there's nothing to do about it. I'm just I'm just observing it. But anyways, things right. are escalating in Iran. This is this was supposed to be the time where the protests in Iran um, have been died out. This was supposed to be that moment, okay? Because they were like bringing back the internet and then they shut down the internet again because the government itself was like, okay, everybody go home now. Nothing to see here. We're all over. The protest is over. And now they're escalating. 
So this is kind of a worrisome. And also, by the way, I const- in the past couple of years, I am constantly in rooms, like audio rooms, clubhouse, and social media of Iranians. But guess which kind of Iranians? Okay, I'm not listening to anti-regime Iranians, right? I am constantly listening to what pro-regime Iranians are saying right now, okay? And I cannot tell you how divided they are. I've never seen them so divided. They Ooh, are fighting. They, they are at each other's neck over this, right? And this is what you want to see, right? They are, Their values are clashing right now with each other, right? So it's one thing. Whenever protests like this happen in Iran, you have anti-regime people in their own rooms and in their own social media groups and stuff like versus the enemy, um, which is the other side, which is the pro-regime people. And they're like, they're, they're constantly throwing things at each other from across and they, they don't get along, right? But now in the clubs and the rooms and the uh, groups and the communities where the pro-regime are, when you go in there, it's civil war, right? Civil war, like it's unbelievable i've never seen them so divided on this topic right and this is there are so many things that about these current protests in iran that are unprecedented but this is the most key part right the the line a lot of lines have been crossed right especially the international attention line okay and the number of iranians outside of iran that are protesting and the kinds of people that are coming out in the streets and protesting in iran itself okay these are all red lines that have been crossed but i think this is the most important red line that has been crossed the red line that iranian re- pro-iranian regimes uh, are now anti other pro-iranian regime people on where they stand mm. on this issue right and because Again, the only way for you to have any chance, any chance, I tell you, okay, to bring down this regime is to create that division between them, okay? Because the people, even if they're the majority, they have no power, okay? They have no gun power, right? They have their only way for this regime to come down is by force, okay? And by force means somebody needs to be armed, right? And that those arm the armed group could be be three options. It's either a foreign force like the U.S. or something, which that thing going to happen, right? Or if somehow the people get a hand, get like they get their hands on guns, okay? That is more likely, but still unlikely. It's, it's hard to do that, right? I mean, keep, you know, and hold on to it, right? The third option is the people that already have the guns <laughs> to turn it on each other eventually at some point instead of at the people, okay? That is what you want. That is the outcome that you want, and you will do that by making them feel like crap about themselves and where they stand over this issue. And we are seeing this happen. Yeah, but this is we didn't see this before. We're now seeing guilt, shame, um, skepticism over people coming and asking for forgiveness, people signaling, people high up there signaling that maybe they're standing with the people. Even in this article, I don't know how this the, the article that you guys wrote on the Aether Republic website, I don't know you don't understand the significance of this one clip because there's many clips and this one clip is also very significant. I don't know if this explains it well. So let's read it. Um, Ash, oh, Ashtari, Iran's chief of police. Um, okay, Ashtari. In, in an effort to boost security forces, say, um, sagging. Oh, yeah, there, there you go. Sagging morale. Okay, this is why this clip is very important because we were watching this 
officer, this chief police officer, telling the people that they that they are on the right side. Okay, this leak is very important. Why would the chief police tell tell his officers, tell his our fellow police officers, that don't worry, they're standing on the right side? Why would Susan? You tell me. Why would he be telling them that? Because he knows the way, which way the tides are turning, and who he will be answerable to soon enough. No, no. Think about it. These are poli- he's surrounded by police officers, and he's telling them, "Don't worry, you're you're doing the right thing." The only reason why he might be doing that is because he's oh, hearing that. I didn't understand. They, yeah. Yeah. This leak, this video shows that there that there are many officers that are questioning. Where are they doing the right thing? He specifically, t- let me actually let me play the audio. Okay, so actually, let me, Sagi Morale told them, st- oh, here, here's the translation, okay? Stand strong. Don't doubt the path because they want to strike down the very state and, and say the path you've taken since the revolution was wrong, okay? Let me actually listen to the Persian version of this. Wait, there's no audio here. Why does this not have audio? Maybe we watch it on Twitter. Maybe we will have, yeah, audio, have audio either. Maybe because there's this is me. unmute site. That's why. There you go. He says, "Stand strong. Don't doubt your position even a little bit." Oh my God. He says, "He says, don't doubt your position even a little bit. There is doubt within the pro regime people. Okay." There is no reason that you don't need this pep talk if there's something not happening, okay? Yeah. Not even... Like the path that we're going right now today, like he's telling them the, the fact that you're attacking the protesters, like because they're feeling guilty. They're thinking like we're doing something wrong. They saw Mahsa Amini die and they're looking at people and they're listening to their complaints. Some of them are thinking like, these are legit complaints. And some of them are... <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. The police and the armed forces. Some of them are like, you know what? The the, pro, the chance may they have a point. They have a point, and also because now the economy is making their life like it's getting to them as well, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, like their lives are miserable as well. So this is like he's saying the path that you're taking is the same path that the martyrs took, right? So he's like, your path is the path of the martyrs. He's like, don't you? You know, you you feel like icky right now, but you know the martyrs that we all love that you guys celebrate. The, wait, this which martyrs? Like, the Iran Iraq War martyrs. Well, I mean, when they say martyrs, they're like all like the Iran Iraq all the way to Imam Hussein, like martyrs, okay, okay. Islamic martyrs. Okay, Shia is Shia martyrs. Okay, right. So. <laughs> Like what, what Ghassim Soleimani, what Haj Ghassim, this is the, the path that Ghassim Soleimani was on. The, you are tonight, you are on that path. What the, what the reason why he has to tell them that is because they're like, they might be, qu- they're questioning again. Like, don't, this is what Ghassim Soleimani did as well. Because they love Ghassim Soleimani. So, like, yo, you guys, you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing. So this is why he's saying they, these people, they want to take down the regime. So he's like reminding them, like, he actually, this is very subtle, okay? I'm, gl- I'm glad I played this, okay? Because you hear they want to take out the regime. Why is he telling them that? Because they're hearing chants that make sense to them, but they're still pro-regime. 
So he's reminding them it's not just about those chants, okay? It's not about like justice or stuff like that. They want to take the, the regime that you love, they want to take it down. They're coming for like all that you love, okay? That's why you're when you're when you're hitting them on the head with your batons or whatever, or when you're shooting at them, when that when that, when that makes you feel guilty because these are like it looks like your own sister or your own brother that you're hitting in the street and they look innocent. To, to not feel guilty, remember that these people want to take down the regime. That's mm -hmm. what you have to remember to make yourself motivated to attack the people. That's what he's saying, basically. So yeah, this is the translation of what he's saying, like both in English but also like interpretation. Like <laughs> they want to take away our martyrs. What? Yeah, he said like basically when he says the when he says they want to take away our martyrs, it means the what the, our martyrs fought for. Like that's what ah, it is, the values, okay. right? Like, what does that even like, mean? <laughs> he says he wants to. They want to take away the path of the revolution, right? So the Islamic mm -hmm. revolution, the path that it has come so far, they want to ruin that. So he's reminding them why are they fighting the people? <laughs> like the the path that is filled with light, a perfect, a beautiful path that we have taken. They want to destroy that. <laughs> I have worn this uh, uh, out. This what is it called? Um, uniform, uniform to to protect this path. Oh boy! Yeah, that's actually anyway. a very telling important choice of words. You wear the uniform yes. to protect the status of the revolution, not the people, not the citizenry whose taxes go into paying for your freaking salary. Okay. Um, Somebody say, oh, <laughs> she was like, Gita vibes. Yes, this is the Gita vibes. Yes, fight, fight. You're supposed to fight. Follow the Dharma. Follow the Islamic Dharma. Do your, follow your role. That yeah, exactly. That is giving me, you're right. That is giving me Gita vibes. It's not just Islam, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Charles is saying, the police are like, are we the baddies? <laughs> yes, you're <laughs> perfect. Oh my god, I should have had the meme ready. Oh god. We need to have this meme ready at all times. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um yeah. I think this is really important to talk about because I mean, maybe we should have a different news segment dedicated to this next week, but I've been sharing with Armin a lot. Yes, are we the baddies? <laughs> Someone needs to Photoshop the special forces uniform onto this. No, the Iranian people should put this on a like a sign and just hold it on the streets. I mean, that was speaking English, but yeah. Um. So, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, but there is this is a very important discussion because there has been legitimate fear of mutiny within the ranks, and yes. I think we should have a segment where we dive deeper into that in more detail. And also the completely unprecedented news of seminarians, house yes. students coming forward and declaring Khamenei an illegitimate mujtahed. Which yeah, you said that to me. Was Where is it? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. But I mean, like, there's, I don't know if, I feel like yeah. that kind of deserves its own segment. What do you think? Yeah, here. This blew my mind. Can you give us a quick summary? I just I, I will just give you the translation of the title. Okay, this is by mm -hmm. Iran Wire, which is okay, which is a 
legitimate news source, right? So it I says Jamia's Tolova Modarasino Jose Homini as Veloyet Monazelas. Okay, I think it means like he has, is that how you say it? Um, it means like he does, he's not, he doesn't have the legitimacy to be the supreme leader. So these, a lot of mullahs from Qom, which is the the city that is kind of like Iran's Vatican. Okay, so Qom mm-hmm. is like Iran's Vatican. It's where like, Tehran is the capital. Qom is like Iran's Vatican. It's like the religious authority the, where all the mullahs uh, go te- the, teach and learn and they get their, their designations and licenses to be mullahs. Okay, it's a it's a mullah making factory. The Qom city is a mullah making <laughs> factory. Okay, that's where you go to become a mullah in Iran, and that's where like the religious rulings and everyone uh, everyone comes after it. Right, so. A lot of mullahs in Rome are now openly, openly saying that Khamenei is not fit to be supreme leader. This is unprecedented, and they're getting no reaction. Okay. Also, a lot of times, a lot of protests are not being like the a lot of are not being met with. like you can see people saying death to Khamenei in front of police officers and they're not doing anything. They're back. Oh there, are, there are examples of them attacking, but there are examples of there's so many videos coming out that they're backing down and they're not attacking. So there's a mixed thing. But the fact that there are some areas where they're not attacking seems to be there's some there's some disagreement. Okay, some places where they're like really attacking and some places they're not attacking at all. It seems like whoever is the commander of there is like following the orders and the commander of that section is not following the orders. There seems to be like a major division. Okay. Also, most importantly, what do you think I'm just going to say? The most importantly, Khamenei has not oh, been seen anything. or heard of for more than two weeks. Okay. Historically, when a protest like this happened, much smaller protests like this that have happened, Khamenei comes and speaks out, okay, between an average of two or three days, between two or three days after the protest. He comes out and he analyzes this and he condemns it and he calls them a whole bunch of Zionists and Western imperialists or some MEK members or some uh, um Secessionist or something like that, right? So it's like seditionist, yeah. yeah, something or like influenced by like I don't know evil powers around the world. These are not other people; these are just a fringe group. He comes and makes an announcement like that, and he just tries to reassure his followers that why they have the moral high ground, right? So he says something like that, right, to boost them. This is the first time that these are these protests are we have never seen anything like this before in Iran. Okay, first time in the history of Iran since the uh, 1979 revolution, right? So if all of those other protests um, justify him coming out and saying something, this would have been it, right? And he is nowhere, nowhere. I don't know why, okay? I don't know. A lot of people are saying he's dead. I don't know if he's dead. People think he's already dead. Yes. So I don't know if he's dead, but he's acting like he's dead. (laughs) But he's, dude, like if... If he's dead, I, first of all, missing in dead. action. We have yeah. an Ayatollah missing in action. <laughs> yes, Ayatollah, the main, the main Ayatollah, the main yeah. Ayatollah missing in action. So this, first of all, if he's not dead, wow. And if he's dead, wow. Okay, because if he's not dead, if he's not dead, how come a man who's not dead has, who always comes and takes a strong stance against protests like this? 
that would be like that would be more questions. Like we're like, okay, why then why is he afraid of? What is it so different about this protest that he's not coming out and saying something, right? One, okay. And if he's dead, holy crap. If he's dead, eventually the announcements of his death will eventually come out, right? And this is the worst time for him to die. <laughs> right? Like at the for the for the regime at the peak, like at the same time that Maso Amini died and like ignited the greatest protesters that we have seen in Iran for a while, right? If he dies in the middle of all this, it's like the people are already in the street because we kind of knew that when when Khamenei dies, that would ignite protests and division everywhere. But I'm we've already like stressed out about it. Like I'm stressed yeah. out about like the blood that will run in the streets. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. But we'll we'll get there. Okay. Well, maybe next week we'll talk about that. Right. But. We were hoping that the regime could fall when Khamenei dies because that would create a lot of division between the hardliners, right? Mm -hmm. But even without that announcement, we're seeing a lot of division right now. So this would be adding on top of each other at the worst moment for the regime. Like it seems like the the you know gods that are on exist have come together to make it the perfect storm for the regime. Protests and Khamenei's absence, okay? And also, what analysts are saying is that if these protests don't topple the regime, the next few ones will. <laughs> you know, like it's it, it has shaken the system to such a degree that it's basically a house of cards right now, right? So, and everybody is seeing how how fragile the whole thing is. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like you may, it's a major push to throw it off the cliff. And if it doesn't work, people kind of know like they just need to go for a couple more and it will just fall, fall down unless something major happens. Like, unless, like, for example, the, the IRGC or the Atesh comes in and declares, I don't know, martial law or something. You know what I mean? We don't know. Right. But we also, here's another important point. We also assumed that the regime has so much more to, to come down on people, okay? So we thought that every time the protests happen, eventually the regime will come and will attack the people until everybody goes home, right? And the, 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 the way they did it, they're like, oh, we're just using like 5% or 10% of our, of our, like, this is not this is not my final form. Basically, the regime was always saying like, you know how we like sent you home and we came and attacked you and killed you? That was just like, 5% of what we could have done, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have defeated ISIS in so many places and we have like so many, like, look, we're selling drones to Russia. Like we, this is like, this is nothing. We can do so much more. We could like, we could like do genocide if we wanted to, right? But basically, but we're, we're just going easy on you, right? But, and that's what a lot of people assumed, right? People are like, okay, like if the protest ever goes to the next level, they could like crush us. But now what they're observing is that they're bringing children they're bringing children to let me actually show you actually i have the picture for yeah that. no and this has been fact checked as legitimate yeah they're legit I mean, I couldn't bringing yeah. kids putting them in a few like helmets with shields giving them billy clubs and sending them out onto the streets to be besiege look at this this is they're using these kids to attack the people look at these babies like they must be desperate. They must be running out of manpower. What the hell is this? It's this actually is a child. so sad. 
These are the forces that are now attacking the people. Okay, so when people see this, plus their attempt to bring like Lebanese and Iraqis to attack the people, like wait a minute, we thought you have a lot more resources. The fact that you're this is what you're bringing to the streets makes us think like maybe like you don't have much more left. Like if if this is the most you can do, if we push a little bit more, then you're gonna run out of. Especially because they're tired, like they seem like the 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 pro regime forces they seem to be demotivated and also tired the people are frustrating them like they they keep going one place and then all of a sudden another place people are protesting and they don't have enough to you know it's just like um it's it's bad it looks bad right so and people are noticing the weakness and when people can smell your weakness then they're gonna go for your neck true yeah. go for the jugular Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is also really important to talk about. Um, I um in the show notes for this segment, I put a bunch of stuff that we can um show. Um, so last week, no, no, yesterday, excuse me. Yesterday there was a global rally in support of the protests in Iran. So there were rallies in over 150 cities across the world. I went to one yesterday. It was awesome. Um, and um, so thank you to everyone who attended. I think it's so important to show our support. And these this global rally is truly historic. Like we have never seen the Iranian diaspora and people who ally and support them show up and show out in the way we have yesterday. Like thousands of people in London thousands of people across Europe. There were, I reportedly like 10,000 people in Los Angeles. There were between 50 to 60,000 people that marched in. Oh, Toronto. Armin pulled up the photo of me at the protest yesterday. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I was standing on this lamppost and then someone gave me this flag. And I literally, people afterwards were like, how did you like hang on that pole and wave that flag for two hours straight? And I'm like, I was doing that for two hours. Yeah. So I was chilling <laughs> in this. Uh, yeah, I was, I was hanging on to this flagpole, so did, waving that flag this, high for two hours yesterday, despite so the people- fact that my endometriosis was kicking my ass which shows my determination. I was not going to miss this, okay? No matter how much pain I was in, I was hanging on to that pole and waving that flag high, okay? <laughs> so this is, um, for people who don't know, this is Iran's uh, flag before the Islamic Revolution. Yeah. So that's what, uh, the people, it's the main flag people hold, uh, anti-regime people hold when they want to support Well, Iran. especially this is the one that people use if they're more of a secular Republican. Versus the monarchists use one that has the same lion in the middle, except there's a gold wreath around the bottom and the crown on top. So that's usually like oh. a monarchist flag. This is more oh, this one doesn't flag. have a crown. Oh yeah, you're exactly. right. There's no gold mm. wreath. There's no crown. So this is like a Republican flag, not not a monarchist flag. Which is why I was like, okay, <laughs> holding that. Um, but um. Charles is saying, Susanna, were you pole dancing for hours in support of Iran? <laughs> That's one way to put it. 
Um, but Armin, can you go to the stuff I wanted to um, show for this segment yeah. in the show notes, please? Yes, yes. So there's a yeah. lot. I'm going to have So I didn't click Shaking on all of them. Scene. I was very confused about the flag. I didn't know why people were using different Iranian flags. Yeah, so a lot of people refuse to use oh, the current country's flag. Oh, yeah, so don't um, share audio for this one because there's music. Okay, there we go. Um, and so they, they prefer to use the pre-Islamic revolution flag. So I wanted to show this because in terms of these global protests, we need to really give a lot of thanks and praise and recognition to Hamed um, Ismailian. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And this is him as he looks upon a crowd of like 50,000 people marching in Toronto. Like, look at this for Iran. And I have so much respect for him because if you don't know, he is one of the surviving family members of the PS752 tragedy, which is when after the assassination assassination of Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian forces struck down a civilian airplane and killed like close to 200 people that were just innocent civilians traveling between Iran and Ukraine. And this man lost his wife, Parisa, and his 10-year-old daughter, Rira. And I think about him a lot. And I think about how this man shouldn't be an activist, actually. You know, Armin, like, we are two people, like, we chose to do this, right? But he had his wife and his daughter taken from him in this horrible tragedy. And everything he's done every second for the past two years has been put towards getting justice for the people whose family members were killed by the regime. The, this plane that was shot down for no reason. Some people actually think it was on purpose. And... I don't know. I I think he's an incredible person. I mean, he still wears his wedding ring after all the, you know, after like two years now. And I, there's nothing I want more in this world than a partner and a little girl to call my own. And to think of something like that happening to me. <laughs> Having my world taken from me like that. I don't know how I would make it through that hell. And I don't know how I would continue to do anything, let alone become the spokesperson for these families that are trying to piece their lives back together. And, you know, he is such an incredible person. People call him sometimes. They call him the father of Iran, they say they should change Father's Day to be Hamed's birthday. They call him Kaveh the justice seeker. And I saw this incredible photo of him marching down the street with a bullhorn strapped to his chest and he's carrying a sign on his shoulder. But people photoshopped it 
to be him walking down the street yelling into this bullhorn with instead it's the country of Iran on his shoulder. Because he doesn't just fight for his daughter and his wife that were taken from him. He organized a, this global historic protest. And look at him as he sees 50,000 people come and show their support. I don't... I don't know. I think... I think about him a lot. Let me actually show you something about him. Oh, by the way, they call him the father of a nation because he lost his daughter, so he's not a father anymore. So they like they want they want him to still be a father. They say like you're all our fathers now, right? But oh, so the, here's a picture of him actually with his daughter. I don't know if you see it; it's a little bit small, right? Because there was this song. This man uh, wrote a song. There was a there was a at, on Twitter. There was a call out for people to send out their tweets for why they're protesting, right? And people were like for this, for that. So there was a lot of tweets. And this man, right, uh, Sherveen, who is now in jail. This boy is now in jail for this song. So he took all of the tweets of people who are saying like a lot of tweets of different people who said I'm I'm protesting for this, for for this, for this, for this, right? And he made a song called Baraya, which is which means for. Right, and this song has now become this revolution's theme song. Everybody, everywhere in the protests are is playing this. It's such a beautiful song. I, I, I wish you could, you guys could understand what you say, right? But he keeps on reading the tweets, but changing it a little bit to fit with the song. I don't know. If, so this is. So you can see he keeps reading for, and then he says for what, right? And then he oh, gets to this. I mean, it's this... muted for us. We can't hear it. Oh, oh let me play this. Uh, one second. Let me. So, for example, this suite, it says for the dog, for the illegal dogs um, who get killed all the time. by the... Because in Iran, dogs are illegal. In a... To have dogs, to have... In his... it says anti... having dogs is anti-Islamic, right? So the regime kills them, right? The regime t takes dogs and they and they massacre them, right? Hold on, let me change that. Um, yeah, but so this this tweet is saying for the for all the innocent illegal so-called illegal dogs, right? So this song is saying for all the uh, all the un endless cries, tears that we have. But this is the one that I wanted to show you. So this one, this tweet says, was by him, right? By Hamid himself, the guy, the, the man that uh, Susanna was just talking about. So he he tweeted for the for the desire, for the sadness, for the aching heart uh, of wanting to see this moment again, right? And it's a picture of him reading the newspaper next to his daughter. And this is the... This is the girl, the daughter, who was on that plane um, who the Islamic regime shot down with two missiles. So that was his tweet. So he's protesting because he aches just to have this moment seen once again. Anyways. But guys, I, and let me know if you guys want me to go through, I, do a stream or something and go through the song 
uh, line by line with you because the tweets here that he highlights is so beautiful. And I, when I was listening to this, I thought that he must be in the U.S. or like Canada or Europe somewhere. I didn't know he was making the song from Iran. And they arrested him. Like, I don't understand who could come and arrest us. But he, he didn't do anything. He just made a song of people's... His crime just, is that his song got 40 million views in 48 hours. Yeah, that was his crime. He's arrested. He's in jail right now because his song was popular among the protesters. Anyways... تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخنده برای Oh, this tweet is so beautiful. The tweet, oh my, every tweet is beautiful. But look at this one. So this tweet is saying, I'm for, so they're all protesting for something. He's saying for the day that we could put our real pictures on our profile pictures. Mm-hmm. With with smiles, with sm- like smiling pictures on her profile pictures, right? Because the reason why she can't put any pictures on her profile is because she don't want she don't want to give away her identity, right? So the, so one day they're all free to say whatever they want, and they could come online and with their real identities. So he the song says for pictures of smiling faces, but the tweet says for the day that I could put a real picture of myself on my profile picture smiling. God, these tweets are amazing, and this song is amazing. I wish. Let me know, guys, if you want me to go over it, like maybe uh, somewhere on line by line. Yeah. <laughs> Bobak did mm-hmm. a um, a translation of it into English and German, I so know. you could use that as a reference. I know, I know, but it's not just translation; it's the explanation. I yeah. need to put it in context. I need to tell you the backstory of each tweet. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know, guys. I know the lyrics are available, all, um, but. I just want to like go and discuss each one of them, like give some context, talk about the history of it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if if you if you guys um, there, there's in the under the video itself. If you go for, uh, look for it, there's translations there as well, right? So you, usually in the comments, somebody will come. Yeah, there you go. The first comment is the translation. I don't. I did. I disagree with some of these, but yeah. Okay. Did you want to show something else? Yeah, I thought um, I have a couple of other things. Oh, some people say they want to listen to it in the in the live chat. I will put I will put the link to it for you in the live chat if anybody wants to go listen to it. Yeah, I, I can't believe they arrested him. Like the people that like issued his arrest and the people that went and arrested him, they like what they do? They have hearts of stone. Like how could they? How could such people exist? Like, I don't understand. This is, like, unbelievable. These are people that are talking about their hopes and their dreams. And he took them all together and turned it into a beautiful song. And somebody somewhere thought that this is arrest-worthy. Somebody somewhere thought that this is arrest-worthy. How could this, like, how could such a people... I don't understand. I'm beyond worse. Anyways, I'll go to the next thing that you wanted to highlight. Sorry. Yeah, so I thought this was important to share. So this is just a small snapshot of people who have been killed while protesting for Masa so far. Um, Just some of the names and ages and photos that we know, some of them that we're aware of. Um, And what's so heartbreaking is like so many of them are underage. 
there are so many kids that are just like 14 to 17 years old that have been killed. And I think I've actually been reading some analysis on this. And there are analysts who think that the reason why this generation is like we are not to be effed with is essentially because they were born after kind of the collective trauma of the revolution. So the people who experienced the revolution and then the 1980s that came after it and the Iran-Iraq war and the pain and suffering and turmoil that came with it basically were like, we experienced firsthand what that means. And although what we're dealing with is awful, like we can't go through that again, essentially. But analysts are saying like this generation never had to experience any of that. So they are willing to put themselves through it, essentially. What do you think of that? Yeah. Um, like what I heard is that the, this new generation has nothing to look forward to. like, And they have no... There's no the ideology that the regime tried so hard to build. They have they the the state media literally said that they have they consider nothing holy, and they were saying it as if it was a negative thing, right? And I was like, damn, you're yeah, right, <laughs> right? Like they have no they mogadassot. That's what they say. Like they don't consider any. Oh, that's actually a better translation. It seems like this generation doesn't consider anything sacred, and they were saying that complaining about them right and i was like that was the best compliment that you could have made to, to for mm-hmm. me that was the best compliment you could have. like there's nothing sacred for them like because it means like we try so hard to have islamic revolutionary ideals demonstrated to them for them to accept as something sacred something holy something that you don't attack something that you value something that you protect and they were they acting so desperate. Like, why did what's wrong? How did we lost this generation? Right. And they themselves, again, they say it's because of social media. Like, we're trying to get them through our school and our mosques and our TV, but they're on their phone most of the time. And there's it's hard to compete with that. That's what they're saying. And I'm like, yeah, again, they're right. We like they have through social media, they have seen the possibilities. They have seen what freedom looks like. They have seen what better lifestyles, what you know, what more stable lifestyles, more more safer, more you know, secure, more loving, you know, without, without having having somebody looking over your shoulder, having somebody telling you what to do, what's Islamic, what's not Islamic, how to live your life, constantly controlling you, monitoring. You have seen those, like, and it's it doesn't matter how much programming you try to do they have seen the alternative and there's no going back and there's no way to go back when you when they see that when they see what's possible you know you can't make them unsee that you have more things that you want me to show here yeah um i think you can skip the third one go to the fourth one please the tweet this one yeah, so oh, this is something also important to highlight. So this is a clip that went viral. And um, this is a girl who is 
cutting off her hair on top of her brother's grave. I, I think in the caption it says how old he was, but he was quite a young man. And I don't know. I think it's important to see these things. So I, I, for people who don't know why all these women are cutting their hair, in a traditional uh, pre-Islamic and even after like traditional Iranian, like not Islamic, but Iranian um, culture, cutting your hair is a sign of um, sugwari. How do I translate that? Grief. Um, grief. Yes. You women show their grief by cutting their hair. And oh, one reason why that was a traditional sign of grief is because they were going to battle, because they were ready to stop doing womanly things and go to this is a sign of I'm ready to go to war to get revenge for the my my man or being killed, right? So they would stop being doing womanly things and they would cut their hair and they go to to war. So it's not just grief, it's also preparing for the next phase of what they're about to do, right? So this is like in Iranian folklore or like traditional myth and stuff. Um, it has a specific name as well when you cut your hair. Uh, uh, it's very interesting because it's very un-Islamic as well, right? This is not Islamic standards. This is very Iranian standards, right? I mean, you don't even show your hair, let alone cut your hair. This is like, but you have another picture of somebody that looks really much like she's ready to go to war. Do you want me to show it? Yeah. One? And a lot of people have taken it also to be like, in terms of the compulsory hijab, it's like, if you are going to kill me for the sake of yeah. showing my hair, like I will cut off my hair. I will make myself bald. Like if you would rather kill me for its visibility, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, it's interesting. People in the live chat are saying in Hinduism, they have that too. I didn't know that. P people are saying in Hinduism, in India, men shave their head when family member dies. Uh, mostly North India. Hindu women shave their head fully when someone dies. Wow, I didn't know that. This is not just Iranian culture. Interesting. Okay, but look at this. this, look at this people picture. have been cutting their hair in solidarity with Masa like all around the world. Yes. Look at this. Look at the look in her eyes. Yeah, her mother was killed for protesting. God. This is... Her mom was killed for fighting for her. The commentary on this by a lot of people are saying like this is what the Iranian regime is answerable to. And they're saying a lot of people are interpreting the look like this as like this is the look that the regime needs to be afraid of. These are the faces of people who are not going to take it anymore. Oh, yeah, she looks like she's ready for battle. 
Yeah, exactly. Darko is saying it's a look of determination. It's a look like I have nothing else to lose. You have taken the dearest thing away from me. So what else can you take away from me? It's also a look that says I'm coming for you, honestly. Like if I like yeah. these <laughs> Yeah. She looks like Joan of Arc. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want me to show? Oh, there's this. There's this. I don't know. Is there? Yeah, there's this. Oh, yeah. So the murder of the protester, Hadith, <clears throat> is really important because um, she went viral for this video of her without hijab tying her hair back behind her head in a bun you know like this declaration of fierceness of getting ready for war before walking into this protest and she died because she was shot six times in the face Okay. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know, but I know that there's going to be a lot more loss. A lot more tears from people that deserve so much better. Okay, Adam is asking, is this struggle going to intensify or will it be squashed? All right, so Adam, that's the question everybody's asking. Everybody's asking that. Um, and nobody really has an answer. The thing that what seem it seems like even if it dies down, a new normal has been set for people and their demand for change. Every time, every time a protest, so every protest that has died down, the protest next, the next protest that comes after in Iran has had two features. One, it has been, it has crossed more red lines than never was never imagined even the, in the protest before it. Two, it happened with a shorter distance than the protest before it, right? And it just seemed like every protest is an escalation compared to the one that happened before. And if this trend continues, even if these protests die down, the next protest and the one after it is going to be, one of these protests eventually is going to be a tipping point. The way a lot of analysts talk about it is that the regime, for the regime to stay in power, they have to 
win every single one of these battles, right? Every single one of them. But for the people to win and for the regime to fall, the people have to win only one of these battles. And then if Khamenei dies and the regime is div- becomes more divided and more people seem to be joining the people, more pro-regime people seem to be switching sides every time a new protest happens, at some point people will think that we have been past, we have passed the tipping point. And the regime will be at the verge of collapse. Again, I'm not saying that will happen or not because I'm not going to act like so many people who know what's going to happen in the future. I'm just telling you what the analysis of so many people are. They might be right. They might be wrong. People are telling you, people are upset about you crying. They want to make you feel better in blind chat. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, yeah, I've been crying a lot in the past two weeks. Uh, Sorgu is saying too much blood has been spilled for it to be squashed. I was actually reading um, a really interesting interview with uh, Nasrin Sotudeh, who, for those who don't know, she's almost like Iran's Nelson Mandela. She's like a lawyer who's been imprisoned for a really long time simply because she's a lawyer for women who are protest the compulsory hijab. And she was ta- speaking to this reporter basically about how and the way she put it was so good. She said the hijab taboo has been broken. The taboo has been broken. It can they cannot put this back in the box. They cannot put this back in the box anymore. P- women are just going to go eat in a cafe without hijab. Like women in any normal you know other country. Women are just walking down the street without hijab now. Like they, they cannot, they cannot just go back to normal. They cannot go back to regularly scheduled programming. Things have shifted fundamentally, and they're going to have to adjust accordingly. Hmm. But for for people who might not know, it's not about the hijab. For the hijab to go, it means the regime is out. The, like it has, it's on life support. This is why so many people don't understand why is the regime so adamant to keep the hijab mandatory hijab rules off. It seems like if they just let go of that, a lot of the like, why don't you for your own survival just let go of that? But the protests are not about the hijab. A lot of people, a lot of the anti-regime, a lot of the people, protesters, and many of the other activists say that hijab, hijab bahunas, aslan nizam nishunas, which means that. The hijab is an excuse. The foundations of the regime is our target, right? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. regime knows. See, the this regime is has three pillars, right? Anti-US, anti-Israel, hijab. Okay. <laughs> so, and the hijab is the weakest pillar, right? If you take uh, that away from them, the whole thing will come crumble down because it's the most visible one. Right, people with hijab in Iran is a sign that the regime is in power. It's kind of like the reason why, in a battle, the person that is holding the flag for your army, you try to take that down because if that flag falls, 
it kind of shows that they're they're falling that the you know people the morale everything like it's it, they're basically going on retreat so for you to take out the hijab is the banner of the re- other side falling and that would basically means that it, it, the regime is weak the regime is either going to be forced it's not it's not either if the regime removes the hijab it's a signal it's a sign that the people have won and they have been forced to remove the hijab that means they're weak that means that they have they can't suppress the people. That means they have shown their belly to the enemy. And the enemy, when you have your neck under, when you have your boot on their neck, and they're like tapping out, you don't let go. You double down. And you that's, finish that's the why job. you finish the job. That's why the regime is not willing to let go of their job. Also, because their own people, there's their own people will turn on them. See, this is why it's so difficult for them. There's two pro-regime groups, right? Some of them are against them now they're saying that they're telling them, Look, guys, these people, we, we can keep Islam. Let, we, can, we don't have to force people Islam, right? We can't force people into heaven. We can't force people into heaven. Let them not wear the hijab. We'll like market the hijab to them or something. We'll teach them why hijab is a good thing. For the sake of the regime standing, remove the hijab. And the other, the other half is saying, what the hell are you talking about? This entire revolution was about Islamic law. Like, what do we give all these martyrs for if it wasn't for this? So that's why they're fighting each other and they're losing the half that is like, guys, let's make hijab voluntarily. They're, they're losing that slowly. But if they remove the hijab, the other half, the other half that is pro-regime that says that we did the revolution for such ideals, for such standards, they would lose that half. And that's even the more important half. That's the mm-hmm. half that is ready to give blood for, give their lives and their children for this regime. So the regime know, knows that if it gets rid of the hijab, it would lose the most important half, the half that is willing to give, sacrifice everything for keeping up the government that is supposed to make the world ready for the coming of Mahdi. And if you use that, you have nobody. But don't worry, guys. There's nothing Islamic about these protests. There's nothing. It's not against Islam. We should have a whole discussion on that because I have been losing my mind over the rhetoric about how this does not have to do with Islam. I've been straight up losing my mind. Feminist pages talking about how this has nothing to do with Islam. I'm like, oh, okay. but the state is just created for the guardianship of the for the Mehdi to come back. But don't worry, guys, it's not Islamic. Oh, let me paint on my clown makeup. <laughs> okay, to be clear, it has everything to do with Islam, but it's also sometimes by many people not anti-Islamic, right? Yes. So it has to do with Islam, but the protests, a lot of the protesters. A lot of them are anti-Islamic, very passionately so, okay? But we have Muslims in the protesters as well. We have many, many Muslim protesters as well. Um, but even the Muslim protesters protesting, and they're like, look, I choose Islam for myself. I don't want to force Islam on, upon our people. That still makes it about Islam. Still, it is still even makes it about So you can't act like this has, oh, this has nothing. How could something about hijab not have anything to do with Islam? Right. So... You can't generalize the protesters. So for people saying like, are the protesters anti-Islamic? And some people are like, no, look, we have Muslim protesters. We have many Muslim protesters, right? So no, these people are not anti-Islamic. That's not true. There are many protesters who are anti-Islamic. 
And if somebody says like, oh, these, pro these are protests against Islam, that's not true because we do have many Muslim protesters who are Muslims. So it's a mix. It's a mix of anti-Islamic and Muslim protesters and some people in between. I just get really charged up about that because I've seen photos of our members, our Atheist Republic members, bloodied and beaten for these protests. Our community, my community, bruised and battered, saying, I gave blood to fight Islam. I gave blood to fight this religion and what it's done to me and my country and my friends. You know, people that are part of what, you know, like Armin spent more than 10 years building are crystal clear about what they're fighting and why they're fighting and what they're doing it for. So that I have people come and say, oh, no, this isn't Islamic, blah, blah, blah. Because, again, they're constantly catering to a Western audience, navel-gazing. It disgusts me. It makes me really angry. I want to highlight this comment. Um, Sorgu is saying, I guess we should welcome the Muslims as allies for now. Honestly, not just for now. The, our problem is not with Muslims. Our, I mean, our problem is with Islam, okay? So we just disagree with Muslims, right? You could ally with Muslims forever. It's not just for now, okay? Like, is the, pro, the Muslims, okay, who are not forcing Islam on the rest of us, okay, we don't have, we have disagreements with them. We don't have issues with them. And we could have those disagreements and we could talk to them about it. Right. Even after the revolution, if if their if the regime falls, this is what some anti-Islamic activists don't understand. Okay, in Iran, right? The, some of them act like once this regime falls, they're gonna wash away Islam from from Iran. That's not gonna happen. There, Iran has many Muslims, many Muslims. You have to share this country with them. You have to, if this regime falls. The Iranian Muslims, you have to build a country with them. You have to learn how to tell them why they, you think their Islam is barbaric and wrong and evil or whatever, while being their friends and neighbors. And they could also tell you why your atheism or your anti-Islam stance is evil or barbaric while being friends and allies with you. You have to learn that. Okay, so... If you ally with Muslims in making this revolution happen, that's not the end of it. Because after that, the building of a country is even harder. Like toppling a regime, as hard as this looks, is less difficult than building a country. And you're not yes, the Taliban. <laughs> you're, not, you know, that's going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. No, yeah, that's going to be a lot more difficult, and you're not going to be able to do that by alienating one third of the country. You have to welcome them as fellow Iranian citizens. Even if I welcome being anti-Islam, welcome that. Aggressively so, okay? Don't let that translate into being anti-Muslim. We share the world with Muslims, a lot of them, okay? We have to work with them. Anyways. Um, should we go to the next news? 
Yes, this next news is in a very different vein. Wait, the last thing I want to say is that people can get involved and support the people of Iran by sharing what's happening on social media. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your community about it in your local languages. You know, we want this to get, we want this to be expanded to just outside the Persian speaking community, just outside the English speaking community, like in, in your native language, talk to people about this, stay up to date on what's happening. Like I said, there was just a massacre of at least 56 people in Baluchistan that like people aren't talking about. Um, and also check to see if there are um, rallies or protests happening in your city where you are. Um, a very easy way is that I usually look for a local Iranian community organization in my city, or maybe sometimes you can even just look in like cultural sites, like maybe a restaurant might have posted, hey, we're helping out this protest, blah, blah, blah. And literally just showing up to this protest and just standing there, even if you don't know the chance, even if you don't have a sign, is so encouraging to people. Like I cannot tell you how much appreciation is shown to me by the community simply because I show up and I show my support for them. It means so much to see non-Iranian people speaking up and just talking about what they're going through. Like I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. So if you if you feel powerless, that's something you can do to help. Perfect. Perfect recommendation. Thank you, Susie. And Susie, thank you so much for your passion and attention to all of this like i wish more non-iranians were doing this like i mean the world i think like the world pays a lot of attention to which issues western issues like european issues north american issues and i feel like they don't return the favor right mm -hmm. to the rest of the world they don't return the favor to india they don't return the favor to pakistan they don't return the favor to egypt indonesia you know all of africa um iran so you know it's appreciated when when something like this happens so thank you oh Reyes just became a member thank you Reyes. oh thank you for becoming Re a member Re welcome Re to satan's minions <laughs> ryan ryan shit ryan sorry sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name okay um oh um do you have any recommendations some Triash is saying some internet running communities I can visit to boost morale. Internet okay. Communities? I'm not sure. I mean, I just follow like a ton of people on Instagram. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Just look at um, here's my recommendation. Okay. Go on Twitter and look for Maso Amini um, hashtag and on the main post. Just on the comment of those main posts, just write your support. Right? So that would be the best thing you could do. Same I thing think. on if Instagram, want, too. Instagram, too, as well. Yeah. Just anywhere, any anywhere where you're seeing popular viral videos or posts by regarding the protests in Iraq. Those mm -hmm. would be and say where posts. you're from, because to show that it's all around the world means a lot. Oh, Barra is saying here. Here's to those in the West who actually uh, <laughs> Shiva gets. <laughs> Shiva gets. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> That's very, very, very YouTube. Thank you. I appreciate keeping it YouTube friendly. <laughs> That's very clever. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, can I? 
uh, clap for the next news. Um, yes, yes, you can. No, nice. That's a good change of mood. Uh, next news. Next news. Christians will be by minority in America by 2070, says new study. A recent Pew study shows that Christians are likely to become a religious minority in America. The trend of snowballing religious disaffiliation has been noticed by Pew since the 1990s and is described as, quote, reshaping the U.S. religious landscape. The study, titled Modeling the Future of Religion in America, identified the so-called switching rates of more than 15,000 American adults surveyed starting in 2019. The participants of the study were asked, quote, in what religion, if any, were you raised? And what is your present religion, if any? The resulting differences in the responses was then weighted against another research uh, conducted in 2020. The study simulated four scenarios, such as switching, no switching, steady switching, and rising disaffiliation with limits, and rising disaffiliation without limits. And I'll explain what that means in a second. According to Pew, regardless if regardless of the regardless if the switching trend slows down or hastens up, it will be roughly the same. Quote, the projections show Christians of all ages shrinking from 64% to between a little more than half, 54%, and just above one third at 35% of all Americans by 2070. However, the study clarified the per that the projections are not predictions, and they might also be affected by unknown events such as war, economic depression, climate crisis, changing immigration patterns, or religious innovations. So this is really interesting. Um, I think this would be <laughs> true. I was just saying positive gentrification. <laughs> um if you scroll down, Armin, we embedded a tweet in this article. And if you could please click on that tweet, like looking at these images will help us understand this a lot more. So um, if you, in fact, let me blow this up so I can see it better. Okay. So they created four different simulations of what could happen. And this is based off of the trends we've been seeing for the past like 20, 30 years and they're kind of like playing around with how these happen. So first I want to define what they mean by switching. So they examined, this is the first time Pew Research Center has examined the transmission of a parent's religion to the, to, to the children. And so they examined what is the mother's religion and then what is the child's religion. And did the child say in their early life that they identify with that religion? And if they did, then they consider that a successful transmission. And the same would apply for a non-religious family. If the parents are non-religious and then the child is non-religious, that would also be a transmission. Okay. But they, they were specifically looking at the transmission from the mother because they say that apparently mothers are more successful in transmitting their children to religion, trans transmitting religion to their children. And also because 25% of American children are, have a single parent and most of those are single mothers. And so they have to take that into account as well. That itself is like a tragedy. That's horrible. 
but that's a topic for a different day. So, um, so they were looking, okay, first was the religion successfully transmitted. Okay. So they, they look at that between the ages of zero to 15. And then if you, whatever religious or non-religious identity you have at the age of 15, if that changes after the age of 15, they consider that a switch. So, or a conversion of a sort. And so in the first scenario, they looked at steady switching, which means, okay, I'll just read the caption. Movement into and out of Christianity remains stable based at recently observed trends. So just at the rate that we have seen over the past few decades, let's say it remains exactly the same. What, what would that look like projected outwards? That is, in each new generation, 31% of Christians become religiously unaffiliated before they turn 30, and 21% of unaffiliated people become Christian. So as you can see, after the age of 15 and before the age of 30 is when most people switch their religious affiliation. And then after the age of 30, it becomes much less likely that you will switch your religion again, around more like 7%, specifically in regards to Christianity, because that's what they were examining and what they had the most data on, right? So as you can see, the current rate is that out of every generation, 31% of, of Christians will become a religious nun. That's not necessarily an atheist, you know? They could just mean, oh, I have no religion. Oh, I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm not religious. Oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, I'm an agnostic, blah, blah, blah. All of those things are considered none. So it's not necessarily, oh my God, everyone's an atheist now, right? Just to clarify that. So out of every generation, 31% of Christians leave to become religiously unaffiliated. Meanwhile, only 21% of those that are religiously unaffiliated switch into Christianity. So we're winning on that demographic front. So if that was the case, and that trend stayed exactly how it is, what would that look like by 2070? So by 2070, in that scenario, Christians would be down to 46%, and the unaffiliated would be up to 41%. So <laughs> Armin giving the slow clap in the background. <laughs> so... And then in the other scenario, this is where things get like a little confusing because they use like statistical things. So the second scenario is rising disaffiliation with limits. So let's talk about what that means. In each new generation, a growing share of Christians switch out before they turn 30, while a shrinking share of nuns switch in. But the switching rate is capped to prevent the share of Christians who leave the faith from rising above 50%. So this is like a scenario that's not likely to happen in real life because it's like, it, it. this is not how real life happens. It's literally, this scenario is literally counterfactual. They just do this for, you know, predictive reasons where they say, okay, in our predictive model that we construct, we're going to let the trends go as, as we have seen in these predictions. And then once it, once 50% of Christians have left and become unaffiliated and is reached, all of a sudden the trend just stops. You know, that's not how things happen in real life, but that's what with, with limits, what they talk about in the with limits thing in this statistical analysis, that's what that means. Um, so even if it, even with the limit, if that was the case, Christians would go from 64% today 
to 39% by 2070. That's with the limit. That's interesting. Now, and then meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated would go from 30% today to 48% by 2070. Okay. Now, scenario three, rising disaffiliation... Go ahead. This is this is a different trend than other countries. Like we know don't get like too excited. This is just United States. Like we're not seeing such major shifts in other places though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, well, maybe I should get into that in a little while. Basically, the research talked about how this trend is actually more like America is catching up to the rest of Western Europe in terms mm. of their rates of secularization nice. of the population. So Finally, in many ways, right, we're actually catching up to catching other up. developed countries. You know who's beating both Europe and the United States? Iran! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just major jump, like fall behind, like it was behind very religious for many years, way behind other countries, and then it just took a giant leap forward aggressively anti-religious yeah yeah but so scenario three is okay what would religious disaffiliation look like but if we did not put a statistical cap on it okay with each new generation a growing share of christians switch out before they'd turn 30 while a shrink i can't talk shrinking share of nuns switch in none no cap is opposed on such switching rates and so then that would mean that by 2070, eight, religiously unaffiliated would be 52% versus Christians would be 35%. And then scenario four is, let's say that literally no one changes their religion after 2020. So no switching. No one changes their religion after 2020. What would that look like in 70 years? Because of like, generational effects right in that even so if that was the case christians would still be only 54 percent by 2070 and atheists would be 34 percent. so we wouldn't have not atheists excuse me religiously unaffiliated that's an important distinction um so even if that's the case there's still going to be a drastic yeah drop it would be no switching but it will still address a major change but the, the but that's not going to happen like um like uh, that's scenario four seems very unrealistic, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. So, like, if nobody changes their changes their mind, yeah. So, uh, uh, this very unrealistic scenario four is the only scenario where no switching will happen. Yeah, and again, they just do that kind of thing for the sake of illustration, right? Right. Or um, so there was one thing that I thought was really interesting. So, Armin, if you and go. Yet, Yet we are moving, people are losing their rights. Like, it's amazing. You know, the trend is people are becoming more liberal and less religious. And yet, politics is moving in the direction where abortion is becoming illegal. How does mm -hmm. that happen? Tell me, how does that happen? That happens because, because you morons are not involved. active. Yes, because you idiots 
are not getting organized. Okay? You're like, yeah, I'm not getting I'm not gonna be involved. Isn't that the religious okay? You're lazy. You just let the religious people do all the organizing and community building because apparently community building is only a religious thing to do. Okay, mm -hmm. this is what you get. This is what you get. You get your rights taken away when you give, when you let religions have a monopoly over community building and fundraising. Anyways. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. So, wrong. Um, if, yeah, of course I'm not wrong. Um, so I thought this was really interesting. Out of all the trends, uh, I wasn't able to read the full report today because it's like almost 70 pages long, but I read a lot of it. And I believe they said that it was scenario number three, which is the most likely. Because in terms of, oh, okay, oh. even if we go with the rates that we see nowadays, scenario one, let's say the rates we see now remain completely the same. That's actually like not very likely to happen that the rate is just frozen in time, right? So scenario yeah. three is potentially the most likely. And again, it should be stressed that this is not a prediction, right? This is a projection. Mm. There are other things that can change. And part of the thing that drives these changes is the fact that the Christian population is aging so much and that each successive generation is less religious. And what's interesting is that they say that the non-religious identity is more quote unquote sticky than the Christian identity. What does that mean? That means that if someone becomes non-religious, they are less likely to go back in to switch again. They're less likely to go to a different religion. They're less likely to go back to Christianity versus the yeah. Christians. If someone leaves, it is way less likely that they will go back. So the religion, the non-religious identity sticks more than the yeah, Christian yeah. identity does. And this it becomes compounded across generations. Right. Interesting. So we're going to say glory to the atheist Oma. <laughs> Also, Ahmad in the live chat has a message for you. Oh, Ahmad is saying, thanks, Susanna, for your support for Iranians in Vienna yesterday. Great video you recorded with my phone. Oh, hi. I can't believe you're here right now. This is a dude that also climbed the flagpole and was waving Wait, the flag I see, with me. I want to see that video. Do you hi, have a video? <laughs> That's Can funny. I, he was going hard. Can we um, can we get can we have that video or no? Uh, I don't have any. Okay, Ahmed, Ahmed send Susanna or Bob the video, please. Thank you. I want to see it. Um, um, wait, Armin, can you go back to that that no, Twitter no. thing because there was another um, figure I wanted to look at. Oops. We have to move to the next news, though. Okay. 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 Yeah. What? Um, wait. Can you scroll down? Was it this one? Um, Susie, Susie literally likes going over numbers and stuff. This one? Was this what I was Such in? a nerd. Such a nerd. Oh, yeah, this was, it. this was it. So this refers to the stickiness. So young Americans are now less likely to become or remain Christian. And if you look at the figure on the top, it says percentage of U.S. adults who are blank like who are raised Christian or not or raised religiously unaffiliated who are Christian in their adulthood. Mm. And over the past 30 years, 
the Christians, the, the U.S. adults who are raised Christian, who remain Christian, goes from 90% to 65% in 30 years. Versus the people who are raised non-religiously who become Christian in their adulthood is also declining. It, it went from, oh, I was raised like non-religiously and now I'm Christian. That was 44% down to 21%. Oh, okay. The, so both the commerce, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the reverse is true. And a percentage of U.S. adults who were religiously unaffiliated, who were raised religiously unaffiliated, or raised Christian and then became religiously unaffiliated in their adulthood. Yeah, so the ones this is... who were raised religious, non-religiously are more likely to remain non-religious now. And the ones who are raised Christians are more likely to become non-religious now in their adulthood. This this red line here is social media. <laughs> because this is this is the work of activism, right? Mm -hmm. This is yeah. This is this is what we're doing right here. Anyways, and, we should and, move on. No, we no, should one, move one, on. One, I have one oh. final point. I have one final point. One thing that's right. important to highlight because you talk about this, Armin, all the time is that we cannot take for granted that this is going to continue. Because trends can yes. be reversed all the time. Yeah, that's right? this is what proves it. This is what proves it. Okay, this doesn't happen automatically. Okay, so this is not just a trend. Okay, that, uh, that just automatically happens. You have to change people's opinions. Okay, mm -hmm. some of this, yeah, um, like this is, this is we have no influence over this, right? We have no influence over this. We have influence over this, and yeah, that's it. That's our work here. Yeah. Yeah. And well, okay. There was there's one final. Oh my! That I thought said, this oh is one God. final quote. This is really it. That is so oh. important. It said, "The four main scenarios combined with four alternatives outlined in chapter two showed that rates of religious switching in adulthood appeared to have a far greater impact on the overall religious composition of the United States than other factors that can drive affiliation over time, such as fertility rates and intergenerational transmission, i.e., how many parents pass their religion on to their children." So what that means is that the, the switching of religious affiliation or deconversion, so to speak, has a much greater impact than basically can we have enough babies to repopulate the number of people we're losing. That cannot compensate for the amount of people who are leaving religion because the nice. sticking, the, the switching is that strong. Nice. I think that's a super important thing to highlight. So like, this trend is like we I mean we we can't just let put our hands back up and say, okay, we like just okay, we can go home now, right? But this is a very positive sign. Yeah. Good job, US finally joining the rest of the civilized world. Well, hopefully by 2070. <laughs> like it took a while, but you're getting there. It's weird that the most powerful country in the world is so far behind in this. But okay, never better late than never, I guess. Right. Um, can we clap for the next news? Oh, we don't like this, but we we can clap. No, wait, check it coming from trial. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where is it? Here. Oh, <laughs> why are you guys okay? This is the important okay, whatever. I'm joking, guys. I don't. I'm not serious. All right. Can we clap? Oh no. Sure.
Wait, this really? Are you sure this is clappable? Okay, nobody died. And, and we, we don't like it, right? But let's we don't it. like it, but we clap. Uh, next news. Next news. Anti-hijab Iranian activist sentenced to over three years of imprisonment. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time with this name. My apologies. Malika uh, Karaguzlu. Kara a 22-year-old Iranian women's rights activist was handed down a verdict of over three years and eight months by the Islamic Revolutionary Court of Tehran for protesting against the mandatory hijab rules of Iran. Alongside the sentence, Malika has been fined 80 million tomans, which is roughly 250 US dollars. On July 12th, Malika posted a clip of herself on a social media platform declaring her participation in a nationwide anti-hijab civil disobedience campaign in opposition to the regime's National Day of Hijab and Chastity. She was arrested the following day. On September 19th, her lawyer, Mohammed Ali uh, Kamfurzi, posted on Twitter about her sentence. He also added, my client has numerous medical records, and although the forensic doctor confirmed that she must be under the supervision of a specialized psychiatrist, that was not taken into account in issuing the verdict. The verdict for Malika comes as Iran encounters widespread protests after the death of a 22-year-old woman, Masa Amini, who died in police custody after being arrested for wearing a hijab improperly. These unprecedented protests have thoroughly broken the hijab taboo, causing many within the government to question the viability of continuing to enforce the compulsory hijab law. So I thought that this was really important to cover because she was given this sentence in the middle of the nationwide protests that have shaken the regime to its core. And so in what many horrible ways, timing horrible timing and i also thought that this was very significantly giving a signal right like, yeah, like so she was sentenced on september 19th this is three days after the death of masa when you know streets are on fire like you, you want you you would assume that this is the time that you want to like chill a little bit like people are in the street extremely angry and you might want to like tone it down, like maybe, like maybe take it back. Say that I understand these people. I'm, I'm unbelievable. Like, yeah. What is what? They maybe they're signaling that. What is it? What is the purpose of this? They're trying to show the people like we're not backing down. I think so, yeah. and I think it's also important to consider that this feeds into the wider of the wider context of how Masa came to be murdered, because. Iran has always had, well, the Islamic Republic of Iran has always had the compulsory hijab law. But it's recently under Raisi that things have gotten emboldened, become hardline, like ultra conservative. And this was signaled specifically, it became much starker in July when they announced that they were going to be promoting hijab through this na national hijab and chastity day. And also secret documents were leaked from the government that shows how far they are willing to go in terms of their hijab enforcement. And we covered that on the show a few weeks ago. And like the level of authoritarianism that was outlined in this document is insane. 
like literally starting to revoke people's licenses for stuff they do in their cars that are too anti-regime. Like there is no distinction between public and private anymore. They are looking for any way that they can to come after you, right? And so in response to the National Hijab and Chastity Day, Masilin Ajad and a lot of other major anti-compulsory hijab activists help organized, basically in response, the No to Hijab Day. And they're like, okay, on this day where you're going to be promoting the fact that you force us to wear this, you're going to be promoting these ideals that enforce modesty culture. Modesty culture is the bedrock of RAPE culture, okay? In response to that, we are going to be doing civil disobedience, we're going to be removing our hijab. And a lot of women posted videos of themselves. Malika was one of the ones who was way more bold in the video that she posted. She showed her full face just walking down the street. A lot of women just shot it from behind. They had masks on, sunglasses, all that stuff. This is a screenshot from Malika's video. You can see that she's just straight up like, no, this is me. I'm against this. She was very bold. And she was arrested immediately afterwards. And so I wanted to cover this because I think it's really important that in the midst of all the turmoil that's going on, that we don't forget about the women that were arrested for doing the civil disobedience. And this could potentially be a very worrying sign about what could happen to the people who are engaging in protests now. If anything, the people who are engaging in protests now could face a lot worse because of how much more... Um, bold the form of disobedience is now in comparison to the no to hijab day no to hijab day was a freaking cakewalk in comparison to what's happening now like in, in comparison to now like it seems so mild but even still like no, the no to hijab day was incredibly brave and so i don't want us to forget about you know, women like this who are who are going to be facing consequences for these things. All the women we've seen throwing their hijabs off in the street, burning their hijabs off, you know, as they celebrate and dance around in circles with each other, this could be them in a matter of weeks. Yeah, and they know it and they still do it. I don't understand this level of bravery. I think it happens when you don't have any other... Um, when you have nothing to look forward to. Where does Susie go? I don't know what to do now. Um, let me see in the live chat. Yeah, I, I actually don't know if they can... Like, right now, there is, like, thousands of, you know, people without hijab. Like, what are they going to do? They can't arrest... It's, the prisons are already overpopulated, like, by a huge margin. Like, there's no room. Like, are they just going to... Just pick a few and make an example of the of them because they're like they can't arrest everybody. There's just too many people without hijab right now in Iran. There's just way too many. Remember, Susie, when they were just like when we were covering news that they were talking about how they could monitor people better for improper hijab. They were gonna use face recognition technology and they're not gonna let them on trains or into buses, government buildings, they're not gonna government let you, buildings and yeah. banks. Or they're going to punish restaurants for letting in women without without with improper hijab in. That just seemed like they wanted to go that way. They were like, okay, we need to. It's getting out of hand. But now look how much, like, like, like how big of a dream that. Remember, I told you that I looked like a fantasy. 
Like they're not going to be able to do that. I was like, no, you can't do that. Like it's like it's, it looks impossible to do that right now. And now that was like how many weeks ago? That was like two weeks ago, I think, or three weeks ago. Uh, but look how far we are compared to that. Like, sure, try it. <laughs> like, like we ha- right now as we're speaking, there are women walking without their hijab in defiance in the middle of the street in in the thousands. How are you going to clean up? Like, it's a, we have set a new normal. Like, th- I I can't imagine how they're going to clean up this mess. I mean, what they would describe as a mess. So yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't seem achievable anymore. Yeah, I think we turn every time. Like we, when in this in the eighties, it, it was unimaginable for it being normal for women to wear their hijab showing their hair, right? Like in the nineteen eighties, if you told people like, oh, one day the Islamic Republic will let women would be walking in the streets putting their hijab here and showing their hair, showing like, their yeah, ears. Sure. Showing your, you were like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Now, now the regime is interviewing people on its own government TV that they're pro regime while they have hijabs up to here. I saw a video of the government of on TV on government TV. There were people like having Iranian flag or Qasem Soleimani pictures showing like in pro regime protests, right? Like they they. Um, artificially have made and boosted to show like, no, not all protests are against the regime. And the people that they were interviewing, 80 to 90% of them didn't have proper hijab. Mahsa Amini. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, yeah, we're pro-regime and stuff. One of them had their hijab up to here. Like it was almost around just her neck, showing her entire head and blonde. She had colored her hair blonde. And she was like, yes, we will not let this regime fall. I was like, sister, where's your hijab? What the hell is happening? (laughs) How is the regime TV is like, she has, like, Mahsa Amini had so much more hijab than this woman that you're interviewing. I I wish I could find that video. Wait, what's so funny? (laughs) It made you a solid kafir go, sister, where is your hijab? Sister, you're supporting the regime without a hijab? Like, and the TV... We gave orders! It's just such hypocrisy. Because in one, on one, you know, on one hand, they go arrest somebody for having, just showing Mahsa Amini and killing a woman for just showing a little bit of hair, okay? But on the other hand, they're ready to use, because, you know why? I, I wish this was here. You know why? Guys, tell me in the live chat. You know why the regime, who is so much like, oh, we're going to arrest everybody that is have improper hijab, blah, blah, blah. They have like um, the announcements that this is going to be the new normal. We have new fines for improper hijabs, right? But why, why, guess, tell me in the live chat and Susie, why when they're interviewing people and putting it on state TV, okay, government propaganda, why is 80 to 90% of the women who are saying yes for per, per regime, why do they have their hair showing? Why they or they have less of a hijab than the woman they killed? The Mahsa Amini had more hijab than these women. Why do you think the ones that they show? Like they had a lot of chadori. The woman who, the woman that they were interviewing without improper hijab, she was surrounded by women with chador. But they, they give the mic to the woman that doesn't have a proper job to show on national TV. Why do you think that is? 
Because they want to show that it's not just the religiously conservative-looking people that support them. They want to show yes. that their ideology is more popular than just the ones that look like they're conservative on the outside. Yes. Like, we are everywhere. Yes. Like, we're, yes. we're the liberal women, too. You know, yes. by their standards. Yes, yes. Okay, yes, but, okay, and also the fact that they know that this is the type of woman that people will listen to. Okay, that the Chadori woman like like is like ew like a lot of a lot of Iranian young people are like why should I listen to her? She's like a religious like fanatic or something, right? That's and, and that's not fair to some of them, but again, that's how that a lot of young people would feel like, right? Um, so this is the kind of but but they are such hypocrites. The message that people receive by watching that, like you tell us that what looking at this is anti-Islamic. But when it comes to your own propaganda, you're show, you're putting it on TV and showing it to us. We can, Islamically, we shouldn't even be looking at this. We should be lowering our gaze. Why are you making us sin? We're all horny now because of the hair. Are you showing? You made us all horny because we're seeing hair on TV, and now you're all sinning. You're sinning because we're horny. The TV is making us horny, and whoever put this on the screen is like committing a major major sin. One sin for every person who's watching this, based on your own standards. You're telling us that you making somebody see something so sexy is sinning for every person who watches it, and then you put it on national TV. What are we to believe? Like you're willing to like piss on your own values when it comes to keeping the regime intact, and people see this. That they see the hypocrisy, and they're like, "You have no standards. You don't even abide by your own standards." You killed the girl. You killed the girl for having more hijab than this woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to go to the bathroom quickly, and I just hear you screaming in my ear about horniness. I'm like, of course, Armin turns it into horniness. Of course, that's what they say. They say the horny hijab, the horny jihad. <laughs> Is that my? That's what they say. They're like asking why we need the hijab. They say because we don't know men. Men get horny over everything. Like yeah, you I know mean, what they true. do. <laughs> they say. I mean, yeah, that's true. But what you can't. Okay, but any. <laughs> there's no stopping that. Okay, here's the thing. They say. They say. They say that if women could see in men's minds, if they could see a glimpse, one second. On what goes in men's minds, they would not wear the hijab, they would wear iron suits. That's what they say. Honestly, probably true. <laughs> I they think like, they, they might would, be right. They would say they, that's what they tell us. They would say they, women would ditch their hijab and they would go into the streets with iron suits. That's what they would do. They, they say hijab is the minimum. Okay, so that's what... Well, I shouldn't but, generalize to all men. I just know what Armin thinks about, and I think that would be the appropriate <laughs> response. Hey, I'm proud of that, okay? There's nothing ashamed, nothing to be ashamed of. Like, I don't... Yeah, anyways. Okay, the responses to your horny dissertation are killing me. What? What is it? Shriyash is like, I'll F my TV. <laughs> And Sorku is saying, put a blurka on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they don't have burkas in Iran, but okay. 
Chadors. No, Chador. the, the invention of a blurka. That's genius. Yeah. That's basically what Ali Dawa and Daniel Hakikaju, what they do when they're yeah. interviewing women, they put a blurka on ah, them. Oh, blurka. Okay, I was slow today. Okay, I get it. <laughs> oh good. my God. I wish I had that video ready. I, you, you want me to look for it? Yeah. Okay. I think what you were saying in terms of like making examples out of women. So Bara, Bara Hart is saying they'll make examples until it becomes physically impossible. That's the pattern. Also, they're dumb. So we're not talking a lot of time. (laughs) Um, I think this is really important is that we need to, even though we think that, oh, they're just making an example out of this person. They can't control the trend. They can't control the tide. We still need to be paying close attention to the people who they make examples out of. And we need to be standing with them and talking about what happens to them and fighting for them. Because we have seen that external pressure on the regime works. We have a lot of evidence for this. So we need to be keeping a radar and a a finger on, on the pulse of what happens to these people so that we can be there to exert pressure when it's needed. What are you what are you pulling up? Okay, I'm gonna have to pull it for from the place that I found it, which I don't want to, but I don't have any other chance because I I saw this on Omi Dono's channel. That's where I saw it. Ah, our favorite Omi (laughs) Dono. So I don't want to give this guy any views. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, Omi Dono is basically a Persian fascist. Yeah, he's a fascist. He's a Zoroastrian <laughs> apostate, but he supports the regime. It's it's confusing. Okay, so look at behind him. Oh, that's the girl wow. That, look, that's the girl that we're interviewing. So look, they were here here like here's one example, like the Iranian people, like the pro-regime Iranians, right? Without the hijab, like without proper hijab. Mahsa Amini had more hijab than this. Look, this is pro-regime. This is the Iranian regime, government TV. They're like, oh, yeah, we love the country. You're like, we love Khamenei. Look with the images of Khamenei and Ghassim Soleimani. And the, somebody has a Quran back there. God damn it. Somebody has a Quran back there. And this lady has an outfit that is like pro, like shows, like we think as liberal. She's showing her hair. This is the same type of woman who get arrested for like, this is illegal. This is illegal based on Iranian government laws. If she wasn't being interviewed right now, okay, she would be arrested by morality police. Yet they're using her. I get, but it gets worse. Okay, so what, like, 10 person was like this. So we're like, he, Omid is saying like, oh, because he goes through so many examples of people showing their hair and then he goes cuts over like finally one with a chador like he himself is like among all of these people that they're interviewing but look he keeps zooming in on like the girls with that uh, with that show hair but like this one like okay as much as i hate him look at his reaction here like his reaction like like how like he's like are you serious he himself is like are you serious here like are you serious like this is the this is absolute hypocrisy. Look at how much hair they're showing. Like she doesn't even have an hijab on. This is, what is this? 
And like, <laughs> he was like, is this ser-? he himself? He's like, yeah, are you serious right now? Is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! They, yeah, but people, the young, young people, this doesn't work because they try to use this as propaganda to show like who's with us. Even non-hijabi girls are with us. But the message that is received is that you motherfuckers, you arrest us for wearing the same thing, right? You pieces of, I don't know, I don't want to swear, you piece of crap, right? You know, you arrest us for this. But when it comes to your own self-interest, you're willing to use the same standards that you go around and get put us in jail for. That's what people see when they, yeah. It reminds yeah. me of when they sent those girls who were social media influencers to the government office to um, promote family, um, getting married and having children to their followers. Remember? And all the, these are girls that the regime calls whores, right? And yes. they, they were so desperate for support that they pull these women to go to their government offices to discuss how can you talk to young women about having babies basically and the girls were making fun of them so much because they didn't even own the religious clothing required for them to go into the government building they They were asking their followers where do i buy this kind of hijab (laughs) i don't even i don't even know where you buy this kind of thing like yeah yeah and when they were buying it they they didn't know how to put it on <laughs> and they thought it was so funny to see each other's dressed so conservatively. It was a but, joke to them. But they get called whores and put these are like Instagram celebrities, right? Who the government calls whores and arrests and puts to jail. But then when they would needed their advice, they were inviting them to come and give the government advice. And but they asked them to go actually wear government standard hijab, and they were looking, they were driving around, they were videoing themselves looking around the city for where to buy such a government approved hijab. To their followers, they're like, does anyone know? They're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when they put it on, like, I'm suffocating, <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> like I, I can't even breathe. When they go into the office, they still have it pulled back as far as possible. <laughs> yeah. But you're still not wearing it right. Uh, and the government has—they have no choice but to sit there on this panel and be like, "Please talk yeah, yeah. to young women about having babies because yeah, yeah. birth rates are abysmal, and we don't know what to yeah. do." They were like, "They were like, we arrest you when it's your turn, but in the meantime, can you tell your female Instagram followers?" That marriage is cool and having babies is awesome, okay? Because they don't listen to us. You seem to have more influence and our leaders are desperate. Like we need, we have a quarter to fill and you women are not becoming pregnant. We need you to make Shia babies for us. We need Shia babies, okay? <laughs> okay. Our regime is falling because we don't have babies. So tell your, like get them to have more babies, okay? So it was, yeah. So the hypocrisy was seen there as well. It's just interesting. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm glad also, you remember these things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was one of my favorite things you've covered on Secular Jihadists. It was so funny. Um, yeah. So uh, I just wanted to highlight this one comment from who just saying, sometimes it amazes me how they can jump from being sad to those bursts of laughter and horniness. <laughs> <laughs> That's how life works. <laughs> it's a roller coaster here on Atheist yeah. Republic. Okay. <laughs> 
We yeah. know this. So we've embraced it. You know what? You know how who does the same thing? Okay, going going from sad to bursts of laughter and horniness. Iranian women and girls right now. <laughs> like, no, I okay. thought you were gonna say the 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 people who cry for Hussein. No, 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 no. That's different. Okay. They're horny while they're sad. Okay. <laughs> they, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're horny for Hussein while being sad. Okay. When they're crying, it's their most horny. Okay. No, but no, I'm serious though. Okay. Iranian women celebrate being sexy and laughing right after being released from prison and stuff like that. Or right after going through the worst of tragedies. Not Iranian women as a whole, like the Iranian women, some of these activists that we see, right? So it's amazing how in the middle of absolute tragedy, they remember to dance, they remember to sing, they remember to laugh, and they remember to enjoy being a woman and enjoy being sexy, okay? So... Sometimes I feel like I wouldn't be able to in the middle of that all of that situation, but they make it happen. I mean, you have to take your joy where you can. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's move to the next news. All right, is the next news clappable? Um, uh, we don't like it, but we'll clap. Okay, next news. Next news. Islamists oppose anti-child abuse law says kids will leave religion. Okay, guys, I have some shocking news coming out of the city of the country of Jordan. Let me say things are things are bleak, okay? On September 19th, a new child's rights bill passed in the lower house of Jordan's par- parliament. The parliament is still divided over the bill. Since 2015, the National Council of Family Affairs, or NCFA, has been negotiating with the parliament to draft a national bill. The bill addresses child's rights for health care, education, entertainment, and protections from forced labor, beggary, and addiction. The uh, The law of child rights was first drafted and then scrapped in 1998. They've been trying to pass this since 1998. Despite signing the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child in 1991 and ratifying it in 2006, Jordan lacks specific child protection laws. According to the National Study of, on Violence Against Children in Jordan, released in 2019 by UNICEF, almost 75% of children aged 8 to 17 had experienced at least one form of physical violence. Opponents of the bill consider it to be an attempt by Western NGOs to degrade the Jordanian family unit. How? Dr. Iyab Kunabi, Kunaibi, a prominent preacher, claims the rights bill will encourage children to leave religion and their families and live in a society of sexual deviance. Further, he claimed that the legislation is a UN-backed initiative to take Jordanian children away to be given to European families. General Secretary uh, Mogdadi rejected the claims in, that the proposed law is too Western and subverts Islam. So this... I didn't understand. I'm confused. So, Consider me confused. So crazy. Wait, I have to show you this one headline. If I could get my computer to cooperate with me. 
It doesn't uh, seem like your priority is correct. Like, you want to leave children unprotected because, God forbid, they might change their religion. So it's better for them to be molested and abused than for them to leave their religion. I mean, that they basically takes, like, admit they're basically admitting that children stay in Islam because they're physically abused. Nice. Is that not what is the implication here? People are like, oh, we were hit, we were abused, we were beaten as children, we don't want children to be beaten. And they're saying, no, you can't pass stricter laws around this because children will leave Islam and they'll leave Jordan. Yeah, that yeah. like so a little for, bit of a mask-off moment. Poor. Yeah, suffer poor. Yeah, if you can't discipline your child with, with enough force, they could just choose... They could, yeah, they could, if you can't force, if you want to force your religion upon them, they might call child protective services and stuff if there is such a thing in Jordan. So that makes sense. That checks out. You want to be able yeah. to control your children even with abuse. So basically what they're saying is that we want to be able to control our children even if it takes abuse. That's what they're saying, kind of. Yeah. I see. Openly I see. so. So Open. openly, so openly that this is the headline, Armin. This took my breath away. Jordanian MP calls for beating children in protest against child rights law. What? No. Is this satire? This is not satire. This headline is real. This is real. Hmm. In protest of this proposed child rights law that they've been trying to push since the late 1990s, let us beat our children to protest this law. The symbolic move. Let me let me say again what I saw this and I knew what we had to cover this on the news. I was like, God damn, that is bleak. I've this is I don't have anything to say. I have no words. Daddy, why 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 are you slapping me? It's a symbolic protest, my son. <laughs> Against this because bill that the parliament might pass. Because what? Because, because it's my goddamn right <laughs> to do so, and they're taking it away. And I'm slapping you right in the face to show them that they can't take this right away from me. Amazing. Yeah. A Jordanian Amazing. MP sparked controversy this week after calling for teachers to use corporal punishment against children as a last resort, saying it helped his own development and could help the current generation. The MP, Suleiman Abdul Yahaya, said he gives any teacher permission to beat his children and a lack of corporal punishment has led the youth to start dealing drugs, half of them right on the doorstep of the schools. So basically this has to go through the upper house of parliament before it can be approved. And this is being fought tooth and nail by the conservatives and Islamists in the parliament. Unbelievable. No, yeah. Again, here, let me actually bring this back up. Like when you when you are fighting for the right to beat children and the way you try to do it is to beat children not for the not because they did something wrong okay but because you want to demonstrate that this is your right like you are on the side of more child beating okay how could you like not see that you are on the evil side. Like, there, if there's a good side and the bad side, you're most likely on the bad side. You're on the child beating side. 
You have the lack of self-awareness is amazing. This okay, I want to give a little bit more background to what the 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 opposition to this bill is saying. Um the law faced stiff opposition from the Islamists and conservative blocs of parliament who saw it as a way of degrading family values and an imposition of Western values. What does it say about a culture when beating your children is considered an integral family value? I don't even know how to... Like, I think it's shocking the degree to which violence is normalized shockingly normalized if that's the case um <laughs> do you say anything to not modernize anything to not align with the evil west they're re one of the things that they're bringing forward as a way as a reason of why you should beat kids is because they like bring forward the statistics of like the uk teen pregnancies and they're like look at girls teens in the uk are getting pregnant out of wedlock you need to beat your girls excuse me <laughs> um yeah and um, the, the, the quote, the provisions of the law will give children great power and freedom that may push them to insult their parents and put their interests at risk, leading to the dismantling of families, said Dua Jaber, a Jordanian MP from the Bre Muslim Brotherhood Associated, Associated Isla Bloc. Fun. Some MPs also saw the law as redundant, arguing that the existing laws in Jordan and international covenants it signed provided enough protections for children. And let's talk about what is on the books. What are, what are these things that they say is pro it's proficient? We got this covered. The Jordanian personal status law, which is derived from Islamic Sharia, expressly stipulates the right to a child of a stable environment, education, and health. It is sufficient to guarantee these rights. They're like, oh, don't worry. We have Sharia to cover that. Great. Just great. Okay. I want to... Yeah. Oops. Just so that we don't run away from this. Uh... <clears throat> so for people who say okay. like, oh, child people are getting pregnant. So that's why we need to beat them. Okay. Look at... Um... Adolescent birth rate in women aged between 10 and 19 years old, 2016. Look at the places where that's more common. Okay? It's not in the places where they have better child protective services. Okay? It's actually happening more where in places where there's more child abuse. So your reasoning is invalid. Okay? So I think they're, I know why they're like focusing on the UK actually. If you look, UK is a little bit worse than the rest of Europe, but it's still better than your own God-Eblis-forsaken countries, right? <laughs> like, it's still UK. Yeah, maybe UK gets more headlines compared to the rest of Europe because it's bad relative to their higher standards. Relative to your standards, UK is doing just fine. Just because they're getting more headlines, that doesn't mean they're crappy. Like if oh, they, if people are fine with teen pregnancy as long as it's within the scope of a child marriage. Let's be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah right. You're right. Actually, you're right. That's a good you're, point. You're fine like, with oh yeah, they're... Pregnant, <laughs> as as they've been yes. married. Let's be clear. You're right. Actually, that's another good point. That's another good point. But look, these are these are the same places. These places where it's dark blue girls getting pregnant as agent like as young as 10 okay these are the same places where they beat their children so 
Yeah, no. Your argument is invalid. I like that. Yeah, no. um yeah i just wanted to talk about this because i think it's important to highlight like i don't know it's just so wild stuff like that is so wild and when violence is normalized to that degree i think it's worth calling out calling it out and naming it Yeah. yeah Um, yep. All right. We should move to the next news. Yeah. This next news is so, so wild. Okay. So I'm assuming it's clappable then. Um, it, yeah, there's a bit of a twist. <laughs> okay. All right. Next news. Next news. Egypt adds sex education into the curriculum to stop homosexuality. What? Yes. I thought it was the good news, and then there was a twist. Yeah. On September 15th, the Ministry of Education in Egypt sent a letter to educational directorates all over the country with the order to integrate sexual education and anti-sexual violence and harassment campaigns into the primary education curriculum. Although, on the surface, this may seem highly progressive for the Middle Eastern country, its main goal is to stop the spread of quote-unquote homosexuality. Homosexuality is widely deemed immoral, scandalous, or offensive throughout Egypt. Although, uh, according to Sada el-Balad, an Egyptian news site and satellite television channel, this decision was taken due to the increasing public concern that children might imitate deviant sexual behaviors, including homosexuality, by watching content through online streaming platforms. Egypt's Supreme Council of Media Regulation has banned many films containing homosexual references. It also recently implemented new regulations on online streaming platforms, such as Disney Plus and Netflix, to make sure that the content shown follows the, quote, societal norms and values. The Egyptian LGBTQ community often faces charges of immorality or, quote-unquote, debauchery, which could result in a sentence of up to 17 years of imprisonment. I like that Sordru just commented, Skittles turned me gay. (laughs) Read this one. Adam Rickster is saying, "Ah, had they taught me this, I would have never been gay today. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Missed opportunity. Um, Unbelievable. Um, I don't know. Do, do these people not have any understanding of how any of this works? I wouldn't, obviously... wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't this backfire? Wouldn't more people be curious about, hmm, this seems interesting. I mean, these old people think this is uncool. There must be something to it. Like, if something naughty. Like, I think, like, Maybe. honestly, yeah, I think, like, they might actually turn some straight people by by this. Like if you're like, what? So, no, I, I honestly think that that would, I'm, I really think it would have that effect. Like, what is this naughty thing that we can't, we're not supposed to do? We should try it out. Like, like I don't know. If you're constantly talking about it as this evil thing, you're gonna create some curiosity about it. I mean, this I don't know the- why I'm laughing. I'm literally a bisexual Catholic schoolgirl, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna make more Susies. They're gonna make more Susie. More Susies are gonna come out of this. 
Like a life, you know, on the negative, on the plus side, more people will be by, and and the slightly downside is like his lifetime of trauma, right? As Susie can tell. <laughs> so there's that, there's that. But more, yeah, guys, am I wrong? I understand that being by is like a, you know, more people are capable of being by, if it, if they're introduced to the possibilities early on in their. So I think this might have that effect. I don't know. What do you think? Well, okay, it's more it's more dictated. Okay, the theory that goes back to the 1950s is basically that all most most people have some form of same sex same sex attraction. Um, it's but the de the degree to which they express it is basically dictated based on the acceptance and safety of their immediate environment. Um, uh, Dia saying the forbidden fruit appeal. So what I thought was interesting was I was like, okay, so maybe there might be some like positive benefit here. Like we can at least get some, you know, decent sex education going in Egypt. But then I started to think about what sex education means in many parts of the United States where sex education is basically just abstinence only education. And this this is what the government from this, the education from the state gives you because of pressure from conservative Christians. And then about, oh, okay, anti-sexual violence and anti-harassment campaigns. Like, that's good. That's positive. But then I was also thinking, okay, wait, what form is this going to take? Their anti-harassment campaign could be like, hey, girls, cover yourself more so that men don't feel like they can come after you, you know? So I'm very skeptical about what Yeah, a Valentine's Day card could be a harassment for them. Yeah. Like genuine, genuine uh, consensual romance could be portrayed as abuse and harassment and bad for them, right? So, yeah. But we, we're gonna or or, or it could become or it or come in the form of basically victim blaming. Yes. Um, and so oh, I'm yeah, very skeptical right. about what this form of like sexual education is going to be. I'd be very interested to learn more information about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I don't know. What do you think about this giant backlash that we're seeing against mm. LGBT content on streaming platforms that we've seen across North Africa and the, in the Gulf region? I think it speaks to like a great degree of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Like they know that attitudes are shifting and they're like trying yeah. to hang on to it. What do you think? Um, I think they are there is nothing they can do. And the stronger they stand against it, the more people, they're advertising it, technically, by doing so. By the way, no man just gave us a super chat. So thank you for the 40, is that rupee? Yes. Yes, 40 rupees. Thank you so much. Thank you, no man. Um, yeah, but, I mean, this is such a red line for them. Like, to have, to green light movies and tv series coming out that openly celebrates homosexuality these countries like i don't know if people can understand like I, I think a lot of people in western countries can't understand how big of a taboo this is right and for us to just see it displayed like at least like you have to do something see, like make it if you're watching it treat it like the taboo that it is right mm -hmm. To just have it like on TV, like what parents watching 
cartoons with children where there's a gay couple in there. Like people are like have the over there, like in the, some of these countries, people are like have these people no shame? Like, how is this? Like, I don't know how to describe it so for you for people to get the context, the feeling that they feel. Like it's to them, it, it's kind of like watching broadcasting like porn. Oh, I didn't say P-O-R-N to minors. That's how bizarre this is to them. And how shows how degenerate and lost Western countries have become. It's just it's such a taboo, such a red line that has been crossed. And they're treating it, they're like they're surprised that they're treating it as if they're the weird ones. Where mm-hmm. obviously there's something wrong with them. This is why Putin was so popular among a lot of conservatives around the world, right? Yeah. Because they're like, why is the world, why is the powerful Western world acting like we're the weirdos here when they're the weirdos, mm-hmm. right? Like, so having somebody powerful acting like, okay, there's something wrong with the world and we need to fix it made these people like, okay, like, thank you. Like, at least a powerful leader is like the powerful country is standing behind his values and stuff like that. And that's why it's good that Putin has been crushed, okay? It's not just about Russia. It's about taking their man out, right? you know? So this is, but, okay, so I want to highlight some of these comments as well. Um, oh, yeah. So what do you think about this? Do you because think it does, this grooming, what is what grooming? I do think, I don't know if what this is what D means, but a lot of sex education in conservative countries for the girls is to, it's kind of like grooming them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's showing is sex education is about reminding them their role in society and turning them, brainwashing them into little good sex slaves for eventual, their eventual, I want to say husband, but technically owners, you know? So that's what sex education for girls looks like looks like to me when in in conservative countries right i don't know if that's what d meant though um i think maybe she meant when you were talking about um how this is going to turn people bisexual (laughs) oh yeah okay well technically yeah yeah the conservatives this is actually actually these two are good they mentioned this side by side because conservatives see uh, liberals sexual education as grooming them right to make them degenerates and we liberals see their sex education as also grooming because we see them as just brainwashing girls to be good little slaves for their owners, right? So we both see their version of sexual, uh, sex education as grooming children. The solution um, is no one gets sex education. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. I, 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 why did I remove the highlight from the... Oh, wait. That was that? so funny. Wait. Yeah. Uh... Here, I found Yeah, Bara is saying, my pansexuality is directly proportionate to my lack of sex education. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Here, this one. Oh, I did this one. Tunisia was the first Arab country to add sex education classes in 2019. Wow. Hmm. I learned this while researching this news. That's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that, D. I didn't know that. Suha is saying, I went to sex education class to stop homosexuality, and I ended up kissing a girl, and I liked it. <laughs> See, that proves my point. Um, we got another super chat, another 4D rupees by no man. Ah, what thank you. Say? You're saying at least they have sex ed. No, we don't know how good it is, but yeah. 
Do you think it, it will do more harm than good or vice versa? Without any sort of concept of the content, I really can't say. But of course, having the sex education come under the explicit framing of it being explicitly homophobic, like that I think can be really negative because like LGBT people in Egypt are already faced with such a severe level of discrimination and hatred and abuse, like literal torture um, that making that messaging even more explicit to children in the form of like your teacher telling you this, that it's going to imbue a lot of really damaging values to people. So I am worried about that. <laughs> Nico is saying abstinence only sex education is like hold it <laughs> potty training <laughs> that's such a good way of putting it when you're trying to yeah potty train your kids instead of teaching them how to use it you just say well just hold it <laughs> but I can't <laughs> alright um, okay can we uh, clap for the next news yes this is pretty wild. Okay. Next news. Next news. Surveillance of Muslim member members of parliament advocated for by the vice president of the Greek parliament. A Muslim member of the Greek parliament now faces a threat of thorough surveillance for national security reasons. New Democracy Deputy Parliament Speaker MP, I don't know how to pronounce anything in Greek names, so I'm sorry. Um, MP... Charlambos Anthon Sio said, if a Muslim MP might give information to Turkey from where migrants can enter the country, why should he not be checked and surveilled? Here, national security takes precedence. The uproar happened at a time when the relationship between Turkey and Greece has soured. The illegal crossing of refugees has caused many worries for the Greeks, and many believe Turkey has Turkey uses this as leverage. As an additional backdrop, a vast political out, uh, political scandal resulted as a result of the Greek National Intelligence Agency tapping the phone and other communications of opposition leader Nikos uh, Andrulakis when he was running for the party leader of the uh, pa Pasok Kinal party. The left-wing Syriza uh, Progressive Alliance has demanded the dismissal of Athansio for the quote-unquote unacceptable statements. Syriza stated in a statement, said in a statement, Mr. Athansio ought to know that national security relates to the intervention of a third country in Greece's domestic politics or involvement in criminal activity. They added, it does not relate to and may not relate to the religion of Greek citizens or deputies. Essentially, Mr. Anathansiou states that whoever is not Christian Orthodox is a national threat. So wow. this is pretty wild. So there's like a larger backdrop here. So kind of one of the important backdrops is basically it's been revealed that there have been political party members that were being spied on by basically the Greek equivalent of like the FBI or CIA with potentially like the Israeli Pegasus spyware technology. So that's a huge scandal. And this guy who's the VP of the Greek parliament was being asked about this. And basically he gave a hypothetical example in which he is endorsing this and legitimizing it on the basis of 
that if there are Muslim MPs, they might feel more. Basically, he's basically treating them like a fifth column. Like they have a more of an alignment with Turkey because they're Muslim and they're going to betray us in our Greek Orthodox values. And they're going to be giving information to Turkey who we have really tense relationship with right now. And because of a greater religious affiliation. And if that's the case, then it is totally legitimate for us to surveil them on that basis alone. Kind of like how Jewish politicians are treated as if they're fifth column for Israel. It's similar to that. And like, like Jewish Americans are sometimes treated as if they're loyal more to Israel than the United States, even though their citizenship is American. I mean, <laughs> Trump famously at a um, speech to Jewish Americans told them, your prime minister referring to Netanyahu, to American oh, no. Jews, to American Jews, he was referring to as your prime minister. Like, what? Are you tired? These are Americans. Oh, <laughs> oh no! God, that. <laughs> that was such an embarrassment. It was so bad. It's so, oh, so no. it, it's it's also because it's like a, a Jewish like trope, like it's an anti-Semitic trope that like they're like oh they'll have loyalty more to Israel or something. But I think this is something yeah. similar. Yeah. Yeah. We I wanted <laughs> to find his full quote because the full quote is pretty crazy. Let us suppose that an MP has a religious orientation different than that of the Orthodox people, a Muslim MP from Northern Greece, for example. This is not a barb, God forbid. If we take the example that he might give some information to our neighboring country, referring to Turkey, from where migrants will enter the country and so forth, why should he not be surveilled? Here, national security takes precedence. And he tried to cite a provision in the Constitution that states a law determines the guarantees under which the judicial authority is not bound for reasons of national security and the laws protecting the confidentiality of communications. It's so wild. And it's so wild. people have come forth and basically condemned him for implying that like Greek Muslims are not really Greek, that they can't be trusted. It's such an anti Greek thing. Like you're basically devaluing your citizenship. Like it's such a self own. You're attacking the value of what it means to be a citizen of your country. Basically, you're creating two-tier citizenship. You know, second class, mm -hmm. first class citizens, like Greek, Greek people, real Greek people, and not, you know, and maybe like citizens, that, even if you're a politician, you're not really Greek, are you? That's what they're saying. So basically a two-tier citizenship. When you create, a, when you promote an idea that there's uh, two tiers to your citizenship, you're basically devaluing, you know, your citizenship, which is an attack on the country as a whole attack mm -hmm. of what makes being Greek valuable. So it's such a self own. You're attacking Greek, you know, the, the structure, the fund, the foundations and the legal structure that the entire country that is built upon and threatening that to its very core. That's why it's so important to attack such nonsense. Yeah. It's also yeah. shocking like how widespread these attitudes are. 
Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this has to do with like the geopolitical turmoil between Turkey and Greece, which I've been meaning to catch up on because things are getting spicy over there. But, um, oh, yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, There's something you wanted to highlight? Yeah. But something not relevant to the news It's just a good reminder. No man is saying, I don't know how, but I keep missing live streams or I'm late. Okay. Make sure you're hitting the bell button. It should be right somewhere over there. It's on Susie's. Let me switch sides with Susie so I can show you just a second. No. Okay. There is somewhere right here. Okay. You, you should. Okay. So right next to the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and then hit all. Okay. So make sure you do that so you don't miss our live streams. Okay. Thank you for giving me the excuse to say this, by the way. Um, all right. So. Let's go to the next news. Can we clap? Oh, my God. This is Trump-related. Uh, speak of the devil. Uh, can we clap for the next news? Oh, wait. Did I put the news in the wrong order? Which one do you want me to bring up? Polish one or? No, I didn't put it in the wrong order. It's, um, there's a Libyan one. Oh, I, do, I didn't Number have that seven. open. Why don't they, why don't I even have that open for some reason? Okay, thank you. It's okay. Is oh okay, yeah. There we go. That's the right one. All right, can I clap for it? No, we don't like this. No? Okay. Um, next news. Next news. Libyan ex-Muslim Christian sentenced to death for apostasy. A young ex-Muslim man who converted to Christianity was sentenced to death on September 4th at, under the anti-apostasy law by the Misrata Court of Appeal in Libya. The accused has been identified as Dihia uh, Aldin Ahmed Mita Balau, an information technology graduate who was previously a faithful, faithful Muslim man and was said to have memorized the entire Quran. It is unknown why he decided to convert to Christianity and how the authorities learned about this occurrence. According to the Middle East Concern, the man who converted to Christian the man converted Christianity four years ago has been detained by armed militias multiple times in the past few years. During the proceedings, the Libyan convert was not permitted to have a lawyer for his legal representation in court. The young believer was pressured to abandon his faith in Christianity, which he refused. He was then forced to pay for the expense of publishing the verdict in a local newspaper on a local radio station and to display it outside of his home and the court. So this is really important to cover because people need to understand how being sentenced to death, executions for apostasy happen across the world. There are still almost around 10 countries where you can be executed by the state for apostasy and like this isn't something that only affects atheists this is something that affects christians as well anyone that leaves the muslim faith and so in that end we stand by them it doesn't matter that he became a christian you know um i thought that this was totally insane that he had to pay for the expenses of advertising his sentence um and what i thought was really interesting armin is that the apostasy law in Libya is actually highly up for debate because there have been so many different governments in Libya since the fall of Gaddafi that this apostasy law was established by one government between like 
2012 to 2014. And then that government got kicked out and it's like widely not recognized. But then the court, the highest court that handled this case then dictated that no, they are going to observe the death sentence for apostasy. That's crazy. And is this, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the UN recognized government? Because it, it keeps coming and going. Libya is like in such a mess. By the way, good job, Libya. This is the this is what you should take with all the mess over there. This is the priority that yeah you should be focusing okay. on. Right Here's now. one thing I wrote. Then I actually have a hard time. Like, which one is the UN-backed government right now? I don't even. Right, West there's the West one and there's the East one, which for for the that the Western one was the one that you UN recognized. And then recently mm. they got together and they agreed for elections, but then that fell apart. And then I don't yeah. know what happened after. This is the only one. This is the only war that the Turkey was on the right side of. Um, mm. Russia was on the other side. Turkey was on the other side. France, for some reason, was on the wrong side of this. But anyways, that's a whole different other story. Um, uh, the, Libya is like so, like in the past couple of years, has been so complicated. Like there has been multiple government, multiple attempts at coups, and many different countries involved in Libya. So I'm, it's amazing that in the middle of all this chaos, they had found the time to get together and agree that they have to put ex Muslims to death. Yeah. That's, yeah. So Here's what I found. Technically, Libya does not hold any national laws against apostasy. However, a 2012 to 2014 elective, elected legislative body, the General National Congress, passed a law that a convert from Islam that refuses to recant can be executed. Domestic power struggles led to disagreements between the Tripoli and Tobruk-based governments. The current Tobruk-based parliament revoked all of the General National Congress laws. However, the Tripoli Supreme Court still chose to observe the old laws. It's so, I mean, this is like, you know how you want to talk about Islamic countries and some people exaggerate, they say things that sounds absurd and couldn't be true, right? This is, sounds like one of those, like you mm. think like, okay, this must be an exaggeration, right? He can't like... This is a country, like, you can't have your own lawyer. Like, you can't even get, like, you've been sentenced. Like, the legal system is refusing you a lawyer, okay? And the legal system is giving you a death sentence and is making you pay for advertising your death sentence to the public. Like, it's, 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 just, it's one of those cartoonishly evil examples of this is, like, if you, if you write a story, you would be like, this is too cartoonishly evil. Nobody would buy this. Like, it's too far away from reality. But here's reality. But another aspect of this story, which is interesting. Oh, D has Africa-related uh, uh, information, so that's good. Let's read that, and then I will tell you. He's saying, the UN-recognized government said this law from the previous Congress was voided when they were dissolved. The Libyan Supreme Court decided to recognize that law anyways. Ha! Huh. Amazing. Even when the UN-recognized... Huh? You were about to say something, though, before we read I was it. about to say about the fact that some people defend um, apostasy death sentences by saying it would never happen because nobody would insist upon it when you tell them that they get to not get a death sentence if they just, you know, regret. Like, for example, let's say I'm a Muslim. Oh, come right? on. And then I leave Islam and they say, technically, 
the death sentence only happens if they come and give you a chance to come back to Islam and be like, I did a oopsie, I'm so sorry, and it will not happen. And then if you do that, you will come back to us and they would not execute you. So say nobody, if, if the government is coming, get, getting you and telling you like, okay, say this and we won't execute you, everybody will just be like, okay, fine. So nobody will, will get executed with this. But now we have an example here of this man, for some reason, refusing... For whatever reason, he's probably like horny for Jesus or whatever, right? And he's not refu- he's refusing to come back to Islam, even if it costs his life. So yeah, you have examples like this. Um, so even with that high standard, people, innocent people are going to get killed. It's so bonkers that, okay, in multiple schools of Islamic thought, that is the policy. You get caught for apostasy, you... We have three days to recant. And if you recant and say, I did an oopsies, then we won't kill you. Otherwise, we're going to execute you. And then they say that there is no compulsion in religion. When this is the official policy of how to enact this Hadood punishment. That doesn't make any sense. That's clearly coercion. Yeah. That is the most obvious form of coercion. Come back to us or we'll kill you. What? But there's no compulsion in Islam? They say that you knew that when you convert to Islam, you knew that this is um, the deal. So there's they say there's no coercion in Islam because you came to Islam willingly knowing that you can't leave. Okay, but what about the people born into it? Okay, if I want to put my modern, you know, reformist Muslim hat on, the modern Muslim hat on, I would say, like, that's, you can't be born into it. You have to accept it as an adult. <laughs> hey, I, I know all the tricks. So technically, if you don't choose, like, you, if you're a child and you raise a Muslim, you know, by the age of reason, you have to willingly step into it for you to be considered a Muslim. Yeah. So that's a, I, I, yeah. I listen to a lot of Muslims. <laughs> no, I know, but it's just like the level of BS just has me going like, <laughs> really? <laughs> really now? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, but do you like my level of Islamic apologetics knowledge? Oh, like... I know it's good because it makes me really upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you think we're all born Muslim? Yes, we, you're all, we're all born Muslim, true, according to Islam, but there's kind of like a, um, inconsistency here. Like, you are born a Muslim, but you're not really a Muslim unless you accept Islam as an adult. It's kind of, like, weird, but, like, they somehow make sense of it. Okay, can we uh, clap for the next news? Yes. Well, this is freaking wild. uh, Do I have the right one up? Yes. Yeah, okay. Next news. Next news. Over 75% of evangelical Republicans want to make the U.S. a Christian nation. And actually, it's a lot worse than this. It's actually a lot worse than this. Because 
A new study finds that more than 60% of Republicans in the U.S. support declaring America a Christian nation. 65% of, of just Republicans. Aren't, they, aren't Republicans supposed to be like constitutional values and, and whatnot? Yeah. So you're saying so you're saying more than the majority of Republicans are against the US Constitution. So they're yeah, anti-American. And they know it too. And they know yeah. it. Because this well, these are Amer these they're anti-American. These are okay, American well, let's, values. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. The study titled The American Public Attitudes on Race, Ethnicity, and Religion was published by the University of Mar Maryland Critical Issues Poll. The study conducted between May 6th to May 16th, 2022, involved little over 2,000 respondents and asked two polarizing questions regarding religiosity and the Constitution. The first question asked the participants if they think, quote, the U.S. would or would not allow, the U.S. Constitution would or would not allow the U.S. government to declare the United States a Christian nation. 70% of the respondents answered that they think that the U.S. Constitution would not allow the declaration of the U.S. as a Christian nation. The remaining 30% who think otherwise are mostly Republicans at 43%, independents at 28%, and Democrats at only 19%. The second question asked if they favor or oppose the declaration of the United States as a Christian nation, to which 61% of the Republican respondents said that they would favor it. The study also identified white grievance as a highly related factor to Republicans supporting Christian nationalism. Quote, right, white respondents who said that their members of their race have faced more discrimination than others are most likely to embrace a Christian America, the study added. And, and this, is not, this is a new brand of Christianity that these people endorse. This is like a, this is like evangelical Republicans is not the type of evangelicals that we're used to. This is like QAnon stuff, right? This is Q stuff. This is Q nonsense. Yeah, and it's right. This so is a wild. new. This is so different. This is a new religion, by the way. Trumpism or QAnon, it's it has the appearance of the aesthetics of evangelical Christianity, right? But ideologically, it's kind of different. Um, it's very much focused on conspiracy theories, Illuminati, um, the you know the Satanic Panic, the Red Scare, um, anti anti Semitism, and anti trans, anti LGBT. I mean that's evangelical Christianity as well. But there's a lot of there's a lot more to it than just evangelical Christianity. It just seems like a lot of other than the appearance of evangelical Christianity, a lot of the teachings of evangelical Christianity is not the core of their values. Like, a lot of these people talk more about Trump than they do about Jesus. Oh my God, yeah. Um, so I wanted to pull up these some of these figures because I'm a very visual person and it helps me understand things to look at the visualization. And this brings up a very interesting point. So let's, let's focus on these two things right here, and I have a few more. So most respondents say that Christian nationalism is unconstitutional. So most Americans actually, 
Yes, seventy percent of Americans believe that declaring the U.S. a Christian nation is un- un- unconstitutional. Look, let's look at that. The majority of Republicans say that the U.S. Constitution would not allow it. However, it, when asked, would you favor or oppose declaring the U.S. a Christian nation? The majority of Republicans favor it. Even so they're openly. The they... Republicans know that it's unconstitutional. Wait. Wait, so they know it's against the Constitution, and they're still for it. So they're admitting that they're against the U.S. the U.S. Constitution. These are Republicans. Republicans are supposed to be like my Constitution. They like they 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 jack off to the Constitution more than their own Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and, but they're still. You have such a way with words. <laughs> and they're openly anti-us amazing amazing yeah so we now know that the democrats are more um interested in upholding the constitutional values of the united states than the republicans overwhelmingly so look at these 83 percent of democrats oppose something like that which is like almost entirely consistent with their understanding that the constitution would not allow it. Yeah. Amazing. That's pretty, I want to interview that, that group with it, like that is say, that believes that this is against the constitution, but their favorite as well. I want to interview them because yeah. this is like, yeah. Anti-American rallies. The Republican party is anti-American rallies. This also like, Okay. Much love to my friends who, you know, support the Republican Party for a variety of reasons. Okay. Wait, okay. what? No love. No love from me. Only Susie gives you love. No, I mean, I, 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 I have love for them for other things, right? Okay. Because these are people that are, are good people. Okay. We just have major disagreements. Okay. But what the hell? How can you guys not be embarrassed as fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm questioning whether you can be a good person or a Republican at the same time. I am not sure about that. I do have friends where I think they're good people. I really do. I know I'm questioning severe disagreements about how to actually go about establishing a better world for people. Right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course. Uh, But it's just like, it's, it's questionable though. Like I have like, I have to, I have to work hard when somebody is Republican. Right. I just make, I have to make an effort to, (laughs) <laughs> to understand they could still potentially be good people. It's really hard for me to accept that. If that's a fact, it's a it's a it's a pill that is hard to swallow. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really interesting is that it also broke things down in terms of age. And so a lot of this is being driven by the silent generation and the baby boomers. This is who's primarily driving this trend. And this is particularly because, I mean, we also see it, you know, in the Democrat side as well. The people who are of these generations are more likely to support these on the Democrat side. So what the analysis of these figures was saying was basically that in the moment, like we are like they're, they're saying that in our upcoming election cycles, we are going to see like a full swing into this. Basically, we're going to see people double down and go down this vein. Because that's what 
there's a lot of support for it that's not being tapped into. And we're starting to see it being explicitly tapped into now. But the thing is, based on these generational statistics, that will be a political loser, they said, in the long term. Because there are a lot of people who are young people amongst the Republican Party that oppose this. The, the majority of young people in the Republican Party actually oppose these ideas. So they might end up jumping ship if they go, if they double down too hard on this. Yeah. I, I just noticed something, okay? You know how I said that these people are anti-American values, right? These are the same people, okay, who attempted the coup in the United States, right? So they're also against democracy, and they're also anti-police, anti-FBI, anti-cop, right? So they're consistently anti-America. Like there's, you know, they're against election results, they're against democracy, they're they're supporting a wannabe tyrant, and they're also against, you know, separation of church and state. They want to make it a Christian nation. They're against the, you know, the legal system. They're against the FBI. They're against the CIA. So they're anti-American. I mean, I wouldn't say that support for the FBI or CIA is like the qualifier of what who is an American. These people proclaim themselves to be the most American. They're anti-law enforcement. They're they're trying to take it back from elites who have been corrupted by the deep state in their mind. I know, but they think the deep state has taken over. Like they look at America and they look at something that has been corrupted and been taken by the deep state to everywhere like the fbi the cia all the politicians so and they hate it so they hate america they hate everything um that's why they said make america great again because they believe that america is not great so as much as they act like they love america they like a version of america that does not exist a version of America that thought they believed that they exist before. It never existed. So they have a dream. As Dee mentions, they're rewriting history. An, ide- an idealized version of America that they wish exists and never will exist. So the America that, that does exist is an America that they hate. So they're anti-American. These people that act like they're patriotic are the most anti-American Americans. Where's Susie? I'm out of words. Wait, let me see. Higgs boson is saying FBI, CIA are liberal organizations. Yeah, that's why they hate them. Um, Imran is saying, to be fair, hating the CIA is being pro-democracy. <laughs> and it, it used, this used to be true more before than it is now. Okay, Technically, every country needs an intelligence agency to be able to function. And I think the CIA has improved i mean it's hard to be as bad as it was before but i think right now the cia as even if CIA does bad things right now see the cia is a more uh, a force for good than for for evil right now without the cia the world but like we like a lot of us are alive because of the cia so there's that um yeah they are saying these were the idiots from january 6 uh waving christians and confederate flags they are white soup. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to read that. Supreme sandwiches. <clears throat> Shreyash is saying, strum an argument, Armin. Well, I don't know. 
calling something a straw man without providing what the actual argument from the other side is, is not going to be very helpful. What is uh, what is the Steelman version of it? Which what I said is which which one of the things many things I said is a straw man. Um, Gage in American is saying depends on which nation you're in. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, right now I think like overall CIA is a uh, net is a force for good. Susie, come back. Um, sorry, every time Susie leaves, I'm forcing her to come back, but I take a lot of breaks myself. There. Higgs wasn't saying they pref they prefer FBI becomes like a Christian police again. Again, it was never like that. Um, oh yeah, let me D D saying Armin email tell tell what is it tell tell atheist he knows a lot about he knows all about this and he said yeah sure he might do an interview. Oh well, Susie, I wish Susie was here. I'm gonna leave this on for Susie so she knows if she's interested in contacting. I these days I don't really have time for interviews. I'm behind on everything, but yeah maybe. Uh, no one's saying, I don't know how about keep missing. Oh, no, I already read that before. Oh, my God. Susie, come back. Oh, there we go. Susie I'm back. Me. Sorry. Okay. my I'm having a lot of health problems today. Okay, let's, then, let's go through the next a couple of news fast then so that you can go recover from all of this. Sorry about that. Let's go. Let's That's have okay. less commentary on the next last two news. Oh, wait. I'm, supposed to, I'm not supposed to show. Can we clap for the next news? <laughs> Yes, we can. Next news. Next news. Polish pop star wins blasphemy case. So this is good news. In mid-September, the European Court of Human Rights ordered Polish authorities to pay pop star Dorota Labszeska. Again, Polish words are a whole different world unto themselves. But she's known as Doda. So they ordered um, Doda to be paid damages in the amount of 9,300 USD for a ruling they overturned. The case goes back as far as 2009, when in a television interview, Doda said that she was more convinced by dinosaurs than the Bible, adding that it's, quote, hard to believe in something written by people who drank too much wine and smoked weed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love her that's amazing i love this woman <laughs> um chairman of of a polish christian organization Ryzyard novak responded by insisting she committed blasphemy as per the country's article of um 196 of the penal code Doda was formally charged in 2012, and the Warsaw District Court imposed a fine of roughly $985. The European Court of Human Rights disagreed with the Warsaw Court's ruling and decided that there was no reason to think that her comments would incite violence or promote hate speech. The court insisted that Doda's right to free speech was violated. The amount of the, unfined, uh, the of the fine imposed by the Human Rights Court on authorities was nine times that of the original penalty imposed on Doda. So, good news. Congratulations, Doda. And what I really want to highlight is, one, yes, we still have blasphemy laws in Europe. We have a lot of them, actually. Poland is the most gung-ho gung on actually enforcing them. Um, but what's cool is that because of this, a lot of the, you know, 
overarching European governmental bodies have called for the blasphemy law in Poland to be completely repealed and revoked. I don't know how likely it is, but it's really awesome to see that pressure coming forward and someone actually calling out what's going on and getting to the root of the problem, right? Because a lot of times they waffle and they talk about like the individual case and, oh, well, she didn't technically blaspheme because of like really stupid technicalities when really we should be talking about a right to free speech, a right to free expression. And this is a violation of that and a violation of international treaties that Poland has is a signatory to. Um, so it's awesome to see like, you know, European bodies calling out Poland for this and being like, you guys got to get this off the books. And now they have to pay her too. <laughs> That's amazing. I really hope that Europe, like, because Poland needs Europe's money. Like, they are addicted to that. They get, Poland is one of those countries that has benefited so much, so much for being part of the EU. And the government there acts like such ungrateful pricks, like standing up to the EU, like, oh, no, these values, they're very conservative and they want to, like, they're standing up to the EU. And, like, you're horrible to anti LGBT people, basically making abortion nearly impossible within the entire country so goddamn ungrateful pricks like they have their country was lifted up so much because they're part of the eu like financially they have been lifted up more than most countries like they get so much gifts and money like and then and they act like they are being uh, oppressed mm -hmm. by the people in brussels like you're like what are you talking about like, name me a country, like, that has benefited as much as you have. There's, like, very few. No, no, the only country that is worse than, than Poland Hungary. on this is Hungary. Yeah. Yeah, and more and ungrateful as well. <laughs> this Hungary, is why... This is why they make... They, they, they made a pact... Hungary and Poland made a pact with each other, right? Because um, anything... Any form of punishment for not having EU values... Um, had to be approved by everybody except the country that this was about, right? So one country mm. not agreeing would make it that the punishment would go, not go through, right? So Hungary mm. and Poland had made a deal with each other that they will always veto any time one of them is targeted, right? Wow. <laughs> right. They got that system. That's so stupid. They are. That's what France is pushing to fix. France and Germany. I think it was Germany or France. But they're trying to come up with like a double majority or something like that rather than a unanimous vote. So they're, if they switch that, I think that's why like Poland is now like submitting a lot to EU because they know that they're losing their power. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, because they aligned oh, on absolutely everything. The difference in responses to the Ukraine crisis between Hungary and you, Poland are stark, you know? Yeah. Like as much as, you know, we're crapping on Poland for all the legitimate reasons above, like we would all be screwed if it wasn't for Poland taking the stance that they have when it comes to the relationship yes. to what's going on in Ukraine. Let, like, let's be honest. Yes. Yes. But that's the least they can, they can do what after what the EU has done for them. <laughs> like, like, come on, you have to make, you have, obviously you have to care, but they're not doing that because they're pro because of their good values. They're just afraid of Russia. <clears throat> but he, who, who's just saying what Armin said is correct. I actually, 
they they say to be kept. I don't know what this means. Church is a huge support. Yeah, okay, okay. I don't know what this yeah, means. Yeah, I didn't understand the rest of that. But Poland, by the way, the amount of influence that the Catholic Church has over Polish politics is insane. Insane. And I'm hoping that the EU manages to like fight that, you know, because they are losing their power. Anyways, I, I was supposed to do less yeah. commentary because they're not feeling well. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Those are like all good important things. I like to flesh out the stories into a broader context, anyways, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, Gaijin American is pointing out like maybe it's because there's <laughs> Poland likes existing. <laughs> That's why they're taking their anti-Russian stance. Exactly. Poland doesn't have a very good experience with letting tyrants just invade countries, right? Like last time the world stood back, <laughs> just they were yeah, they were the first to go. So this is taking a stand. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um Oh, Eva is like, oh, I just joined in randomly and I'm from Poland. Eva, you should go back and watch this story that we just covered. We're, we're done with the Poland story, but you should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. All right. I'm assuming that we can't clap for the, yeah, we can't clap for this. No, we can't clap for this news. All right. Um, all right. Next news. Next news. So, unfortunately, I have to bring some sad news to you guys about someone who's very important to the Atheist Republic community who passed away recently. Um, Atheist Republic mourns the loss of confused heathen. Atheist Republic is saddened to learn of the recent passing of an important member within the international Atheist Republic community. The Egyptian ex-Muslim that was known to us as confused heathen or also known as Confused Hamlet or Labby to close friends. Confused Heathen was an active member of the Atheist Republic YouTube live chats and Discord community and became the founding creator and moderator of the Atheist Republic subreddit. Confused Heathen also founded the subreddit X Egypt, which he created to bolster community and connections for ex-Muslims and ex-Christians and its sister, sister Discord community. The ex-Egypt community has already grown to nearly 10,000 members within the span of less than two years. No small feat. Many friends and supporters shared their memories of confused heathen in reaction to the heart-wrenching news. One Reddit user stated, Heathen was the reason that thousands of Egyptian ex-Muslims found a place to call home and the reason so many deep friendships and relationships formed and hundreds of people owe her for changing their lives. And um, so I wrote this for our website and I included a lot of dedications that people from the Atheist Republic community and the ex-Egypt community shared about Confused Heathen. And um, just to clarify something, like, uh, confused heathen, as most of us knew him, used like different pronouns for different communities. So sometimes people say her, sometimes people say he. It, we're talking about the same person. Um, so I wanted to share what I wrote about heathen because I worked with them. And um, I said, if there's one thing I knew, I know about heathen, I know that he des deeply wanted happier and freer lives for his fellow Egyptian atheists. He was always looking for a way to do more, dissatisfied with the restrictions of online communities, yet faced with the stark danger and illegality of on-the-ground organizing in Egypt. 
He was young and dedicated more time and energy to others than people several decades his senior. His accomplishments and interventions on behalf of others are a reminder that the faceless activists often make a bigger difference in individual lives than the most celebrated figures. And I don't know, that's something that I think about a lot in the work that I do because there are so many people at Atheist Republic and so many different organizations that I work at or work with that do really difficult work really difficult work to provide community to people, connection to people, or the extremely, I mean, taxing work of actually saving lives, like helping people get refugee status and stuff, helping them escape countries. And these are people whose names you will never know. Faces you won't know. They don't get celebrated. They don't get recognition. But they're doing work that is so vital and can literally make a life or death difference to the people involved. But they're never going to be held up on a stage and given award, given awards like Richard Dawkins, right? But the impact that they make is no less than that of our most celebrated figures. Sometimes I think it's more. Because to those lives that they saved, that, that, that they positively impacted, it was so direct and so poignant. And um, I wanted to read something that um, a few other people wrote because I thought it was so sweet. So um, our friend Vince, our good friend Vince, he wrote, It is nothing short of impressive to see what Heathen has done for ex-Muslims in such a short time. To say I was impressed with their work would be a severe understatement. I first met Heathen a little over two years ago. Heathen was part of a small coalition that compromised some of the first members of the Atheist Republic Discord server. We would often be talking with each other whilst playing some online games. We all got to know each other fairly well and bonded over similar values and beliefs. We didn't speak to Heathen as much as we used to once he started up ex-Egypt and strove to make a better world for ex-Muslims, but we always kept in touch. It's absolutely heartbreaking to hear about what happened. He then deserved so much better. He was immensely inspiring and caring to people that made the lives of many people better off by creating a community they felt comfortable in. He then may be physically gone, but his spirit lives on in the grand work they've done and in the lives they've inspired. Wherever you are, I hope you found peace. And, um, yeah, I think, um, to a lot of people that knew Confused Heathen, we just... want... I don't know. There's a lot of people that are really struggling out there, you know? I'm going to put a link. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. There's a lot more statements mm -hmm. here. So I'm going to put a link uh, to this article. All of our articles are in the description, but I'm just going to put this here. In, ca in case anybody wants to read more people uh, mm -hmm. that wrote about it. Yeah. And at the bottom of the article, there's a link to where our Atheist Republic members actually created mm -hmm. um, a 
what do you call basically like an immemorium page where other mm -hmm. people can continue to add dedications and where you can read a lot more dedications. Um, yeah. Okay. So, oh. Yeah, there's a lot up there. People sharing memories and funny jokes and why he mattered oh. to them. This is beautiful. Some of them are in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Oh, Vince is here, yeah. This is beautiful. Okay, this is very beautiful. Oh, Afshin posted mm -hmm. his conversation. No. Yeah, they're posting screenshots of their inside jokes and stuff. That's cute. Yeah. So I know Dude, it's really hard when. I want a page like this if something happens to me one day. Armin, you can't talk about that. I'm going to have a mental breakdown. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sheikh is saying that kid deserves a better life. Yeah. And we don't even know. They're like, we don't even know. Like, uh, did they die in complete loneliness without anybody, anybody knowing who they are, what their name is, what they look like? Like maybe when they died, like there was nobody that knew anything that this person has done, all the activities during the moment. I know that Confused Heathen had a few like close in, closer in-person friends because that's how we were actually able to find out mm -hmm. what happened, you know, and they could bring that information back to us. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know a lot about what was going on in their situation, but I know that there was a lot of stuff that was really dangerous for them and they couldn't be themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry that this was the last news, guys. All right. I don't know how to end this. Do you want to say something? Mm. We're going to have less, less depressing news, hopefully, next week. Hopefully, one of these days, we'll start a news segment by saying, one day, one day, we will start our live stream saying, Iran is free. Mm. That would be nice. That would be a nice... Mm. gift to all these anonymous activists right to a lot of these anonymous activists right yeah. do you think we will when they have us open our stream like that iran is free iran has yeah yeah well hopefully like well okay here to better days today is with better news okay good is that a good way to end the stream yeah guys i don't know what else to say this is all right. Um, please um, share our videos so we can grow the channel. Sorry that sometimes our news are not very happy. Um, and hopefully we will be more cheery in other news. All right. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye. Oh, kisses. <laughs> <laughs>